0: Ah, uh, what a magical moment it was, Mike Sielski. You just heard. That is Wednesday night, of course. Rice is not up to bat. All of the fans now singing his walk-up music. And then Grand Slam, Phillies Advance.
1: The greatest sound in sports is the crack of the bat solidly against a baseball. Yeah, it Like is. that. Yeah. And yeah. the cool part about that clip is you can hear the crowd change yep. as soon as that sound is made. Uh, yep, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you hear the bell at the end, and it was all great, and whoever thought to do that, I mean, we, you know, I've heard it with Scott Franski, I heard it with the national broadcast and so on, and then somebody just said, you know what, let's just hear what it was like in the stadium, and it was absolutely great. Good morning, everybody. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, it is a overcast but wonderful Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley because here's what we got. We got football tomorrow: Eagles at the Los Los Angeles Rams. Mike sealski will be there covering that. I will. Philadelphia Inquirer. Nice, and of course tonight, 6-0-5 first pitch down in Atlanta: Phillies, Atlanta Braves.
1: <laughs> you ha- kind of have to say it that way got if it. you've been in this town for more than five years. You just have to. Yes,
0: you do. Um, And they play Monday night and then Wednesday night back here. little odd schedule this year, Mike, in that there's three off days in a best-of-five series between games one and two, between games two and three. Mm-hmm. And again, between games four and five, I will propose
1: advantage Phillies. I think there might be. You look at the pitching matchups. Yesterday, Rob Thompson announces that Ranger Suarez is going to start. Tonight's game, what that allows and what that scheduling, as you mentioned, Glenn, allows is the possibility of Zach Wheeler pitching twice in games two and five, yep. which would be a huge advantage
0: for the Absolutely. Phillies. Absolutely. So you get two games of Wheeler, one game of Nola, who pitched so well in that last one. We had spoken last yes, week. We had. Like, this is
1: it for Nola. This is a big <laughs> game.
0: Nola, he's either going to do it or he's out of here. And boy, he continued what has been a very nice stretch. Need him to do it again. Game three, he's going to have two extra days rest. Hopefully that will help. Tonight, first game, Skipper decides, I'm going with Ranger Suarez. Now, they did this last year. He pitched the first uh, game against the Mm -hmm. Braves. Short outing, but a fine one. Three and a third innings, just one run. He left with a 6-1 to lead. By the way, the Phillies ended up winning that one 7-6 to six as the uh, late, great uh, Zach Eflin and Connor Brogdon got waxed in that one. They
1: did, but I think the moment that everybody remembers from that game, Glenn, was Nick Castellanos making that sliding yeah. catch in the bottom of the ninth oh inning. Oh, my God. Who flashing this defense yeah. that he had kept hidden the entire regular season. <laughs> it's so
0: true. He did, he did a few of those last year. Uh, and they chased Max Freed. Keep that in mind yes. because that's going to play into it. Ranger ended up relieving uh, later in the NLDS and in the World Series. So they had three choices to pitch tonight. Suarez, Christopher Sanchez, and Tywan Walker. Do you, Mike Sealski, noted journalist, agree with Rob Thompson's decision?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. because Ranger Suarez has postseason experience. He has been in this exact situation before starting a Game 1 against the Braves in Atlanta, and at this time of the year, I think you tip the scales in that direction. And Taiwan Walker lately certainly hasn't pitched well enough to Warren starting in Game 1. And do you really want to put Christopher Sanchez, a rookie, in that situation? It's pretty daunting for a young kid like that to start Game 1 of a postseason series. It's happened in the past, and maybe it's worked in the past, but I think when you have an option like Ranger Suarez, you go with him, and the, the added part of it, Glenn, is that because Ranger is so versatile, as you mentioned, maybe you can bring him back if you need to in a different kind of role, certainly later in the postseason if you get past the Braves, but even in this series.
0: Okay, I agree with you. I mean, there's part of me that, like, boy, I really Christopher Sanchez would love to see him get the chance. But your logic is really important, which is he's done it. He's done it okay. He's been here. He's good. Listen, Ranger Suarez is good. He, he didn't have the year, the season that he's had in the past – but I guess I go with him, and I will uh, I will give you an over-under. Ranger Suarez tonight, four and a third innings.
1: I think that's—I think I would take the over, and here's why. You're right. Ranger didn't have nearly as strong a season this year as he did last season. But he was much better on the road. He had a 2.75 ERA and 10 road starts. He got beat up at Citizens mm. Bank Park this year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So— okay, I'll take the over on four and a third, four and two thirds. Uh, If he gives them five to six innings, that's a, it's not an actual win, but that's pretty good if you're the Phillies, I think.
0: Yeah, and I like the the depth of the bullpen, I think, is something that they can play on and they're all pretty rested. And then, you you know, you figure with all the days off, the bullpen is not going to be, oh, I use this guy, I can't use him tomorrow. You're pretty much free to use your bullpen the whole time. Again, I think that plays to the Phillies' advantage. I'll be honest. I'm looking for the advantages wherever I can. Yeah, especially the Braves. This team. The Braves, as a team, finished the season with a slugging percentage over 500. That's never been done. Like the 27, it's, it's did ridiculous. not do that. So we take advantages where we can. The Braves are a tough, good, strong team with an amazing offense. So it's it's going to be it's going to be having to deal with that. The Braves start tonight with the very familiar Spencer Strider, who led the league in wins, led Mm the majors, I guess, in wins with 20, led the majors in strikeouts with 281. Um, Could win the Cy Young Award. Yeah, I imagine he's going to win the Cy Young Award. And he has faced the Phillies eight times in his history. Well, he's faced the Phillies nine times in his history. Last year in the playoffs, they got to him. Yes. They got five runs off of him. Mm -hmm. Hello, didn't make it out of the third. Right. Other than that, <laughs> Mrs. Lincoln. Mrs. Lincoln, exactly. He's 8-0 with a 190 ERA and a 151 batting average against facing the Phillies. So we need playoff strider. Y-
1: yeah, not only that, Glenn, in the 47 and a third innings he has pitched against the Phillies in the regular season in his career, he has struck out 72. Oh, I mean, that's almost a strikeout oh, and a half per inning. Yeah, really. <laughs> that's uh, crazy.
0: Yeah. They, listen, these they're free swingers, and against him, they're – Free swingers who miss a lot. Uh, by the way, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. We'd love to have you come in and, and uh, give us your, your thoughts. It's going to be a best-of-five series. Um, if it goes all five, he starts, he, Strider, starts game one and four. Game two and five is the lefty Max Freed, who's mm-hmm. good but
1: has a blister. Got a boo-boo. I got blisters on my fingers, as John Lennon would say. Hey,
0: hey, good reference.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm older than I look. There
0: you (laughs) go. Okay. Um, And so, again, you know, it's like we need to look for whatever edges we can. The edge we're looking for is that this guy goes out and throws, and an inning a third into it, it's like his middle finger is bleeding profusely.
1: Yeah, look, there are the tangible edges that you can look for, like you said, Glenn, the fact that – Freed is hurt. The fact that the Braves haven't played in a little while and they might be, have some rust that they need to kick off. Then you have the in, intangible factors and it, potential advantages. And I think, honestly, the Phillies have a very, very big one, which is they are the team that everybody around baseball can look at and say, we don't want to see those guys because of the way that they play at this time of year. We don't want to have to win at Citizens Bank Park if we don't have to because that's going to be really challenging. This has been a team that, as we saw last season, rolled through the playoffs against team two teams that were better than them during the regular season, the Braves mm-hmm. and the Padres. So that factor to me is kind of the equalizer in all of this. I'm not saying the Phillies are definitely going to win the series. In fact, in the paper, I picked the Braves in five. But – I think this has a chance to be an absolutely classic baseball postseason series, and I wouldn't put it past the Phillies at all to advance. Uh, Agree, 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 agree. Um,
0: And the home field advantage that the Phillies have right now is as good or better than anything I've seen in sports in a long time. I don't Mm -hmm. think home field advantage is what it used to be in most sports. It really You look in the NFL, and I think the home team wins 53% of the time. There's, yeah. really, there's really nothing
1: to it. The National Hockey League barely exists now in the postseason. Yeah, it used to be. Yeah, not anymore. And it, even in the NBA, I mean, gosh, you know, the Sixers lost, twi- lost t- in seven games to the Celtics last year and lost twice on their home floor. But my theory is in baseball it really matters, and it really matters at Citizens Bank Park because of the nature of the sport. There's so much downtime for these guys Mm -hmm. when the pitcher is on the mound, when the batter is in the box, when the players are standing in the field. And you live in that environment without doing anything for so much of a baseball game that I think it has a greater impact on the opposing teams that come into Citizens Bank Park. And I think as we've seen this season, it can buoy the Phillies and raise their game. So I think it's a huge advantage. For so the typically
0: in, in the hundred and fifty year history of baseball, what happens is when nothing's happened, everybody kind of sits there quietly. And every once in a while somebody try, let's go Phillies. Right. Right? But there's not much. What has happened in this town in the last couple of years is the fans came together and they they learned that if they just make a lot of noise mm-hmm. from the first inning through the ninth it has an impact on the game, and it puts them more into the game, yeah. and it creates a community here that you don't have everywhere else. And I'm not just talking about Tampa where they get 19,000 people for a playoff game, which is a shame and they should take the franchise away, but that's a separate <laughs> issue. But most towns, I mean, I've been to baseball games yeah. everywhere, and I've been to postseason games mm-hmm. everywhere in good places, in Detroit, in Chicago, in New York, in baseball cities and what happens is there's some noise, and it's a little louder. But here, there is a fever pitch that starts from beginning to end. And we heard it all last year. Like, I've never played in a place like that. Yep. You know, the visiting player. Well, the hometown players, too.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. It's,
0: and the fans here, I know it's so cliche in football, the 12th man and mm-hmm. the 10th man and the 6th man and and all that cliche. But I really believe it here, and I think it has a huge
1: impact. It takes a remarkable amount of stamina yeah. on the fans' yeah. part. Yeah. <laughs> To do that? And they do it. But they do. And, you know, you referenced Tampa and the atmosphere, quote-unquote, there. If you watched any of the wild card series other than the Phillies-Marlins in the last week, Citizens Bank Park made it feel like those other parks were still trapped in 2020 when they were playing games without crowds. Yeah. And the difference was so stark. And I don't think players on other teams, as you said, Glenn, are accustomed to that in any regard. And it, it makes a difference. It just does. Look at the Phillies' record at home in the postseason since they've moved to Citizens Bank Park. I think it's the best in baseball. I might be wrong about that. A caller could check me. But it is a huge advantage. So if the Phillies can split in Atlanta, boy, that place, Wednesday night, it's going to be on fire.
0: And as has been much discussed... There was a moment this year uh, that really changed the season. Uh, Your colleague Marcus Hayes, I thought, wrote a terrific column Mm -hmm. about it uh, that's in the paper now. Uh, I saw it online. I never know what day something's in the paper because I see it online. But it doesn't matter. Inquire.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll find it. And, And Marcus wrote a great column. And it's about what happened when the fans in July decided that Trey Turner was really doing poorly and needed a lift and gave it to him. Uh, I'll give again credit to Jack Fritz, sure. who's become a national icon off of this. <laughs> they're going to build his statue outside the stadium next to Lefty. I'm sure by the end of the they're, season, they're just going to
1: run his social media uh, video of him imploring fans to cheer for Turner. Yeah, but you on know, a loop before hey every man,
0: game. I, I am, I am, I will give him entire credit for creating a movement that took off. And there's quotes in this Marcus story that are amazing. So this is this is the manager, Rob Thompson. Mm-hmm who is not the most evocative person in the world, right? He's kind of a quiet old baseball guy. It's like talking to a loaf of white bread sometimes. Yeah, okay. So he says, this is when it changed. It was when Trey got the standing ovation. There's no question in my mind. It's a team that is very supportive of each other. They're really together. They care about each other. When that happened, the standing ovation, Trey was able to breathe a little bit. Consequently, the rest of the team was able to breathe a little bit. They wanted him to do well. Since that point, 33 and 18, a 647 winning percentage. Um it's astounding. They 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 found it. Yeah. And can a moment like that turn you around? Can 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 something in sp- sports is based off of statistics which are based off of probabilities mm-hmm. which are based off of the history of what you do. Right. Right. So you can go on a hot streak for a couple of games and, hey, I you know, I get three home runs in four games. I'm top of the world. But overall, at the end of the season, it's going to balance out. Right. They turn on a dime. Yes. Turner turned on a dime and the team <clears throat> turned on a dime.
1: How is that sustainable? It doesn't necessarily have to be because it happened so late in the season. If it had happened in April, maybe they would have what's the the phrase regress to the mean mm-hmm. right that's that's the phrase that we use when we talk about stats and sports as you said a player's going to be who a player's going to be a team's going to be what a team's going to be but this happened so late in the summer that maybe they can ride this wave and look they've been really good for a while remember glenn they they were i think 25 and 32 and are something like 67 and 40 yeah. since then. Yeah. So there's some of that. There's some of, hey, look, the lineup was pretty darn good. These guys were always going to hit. They were going to get Bryce Harper back. Nick Castellanos probably wasn't going to have as poor a season this year as he did last season. But the fact that they got Turner turned around, and it was that moment it was. <laughs> that really did it, is crazy. It really is crazy because yeah. it – it upends everything that we think about sports now. As you said, sports is so analytically driven now. And so much of it is based on the stats and the the tangible, you know, let me see it, prove yep. it to me, right. show me. Well, this is something that's, that's intangible. You just kind of have to feel it. And I think that's part of what has driven the connection between the team and the community is people feel like, oh, my gosh, we are having an effect on these guys.
0: Yep. there. Are, well, certainly there is a relationship among the players on this team. There's a closeness among players on this team. It's not, you know, the old cliche 25 guys, 25 cabs. Right. Uh, it is, it's something. And there is, to your point, a relationship between the team and the fan base. It really – you and I have had this conversation more off the air than on the air mm-hmm. about how – Philadelphia fans have changed over the years. I went yes. to a play this week, mm-hmm. The Philly Fan by Bruce Graham. Terrific yep. playwright. It's a really good one-man play. It's at the Hedgerow Theater for the next couple weeks. You should go see it. It's really good. Um, but the point is, he, he initially wrote the play in 2004. Yep. And it's a one-man play about a character of a guy who is a 50-something-year-old cranky Philadelphia <laughs> fan who's seen it all and all those yeah. team's losses and they're going to break my heart and they're going to lose. Yep. He's updated it over time so the most recent version, the one I went to see, is set the night before the 2018 Super Bowl when it's like, oh my God, Carson Wentz is out Nick Foles is in, we're cooked.
1: Right. Right.
0: Right. Guess Perfect. Right. Yeah. They're not cooked. Right. But that guy who represents, listen, there's a big part of our audience there. Yes. But there's also an increasing part of our audience that is optimistic and supportive and will embrace Alec Bohm mm-hmm. after he kind of apologizes, fesses up. I don't want to say yes. apologize, but he, he fessed up to what he did. And once upon a time, because I've been doing this for 30 years, 20 years ago, it would be like, let's get that jerk out of town. Right. <laughs> now, now it's like, we love him and he loves us and we're going to make it work. Mike. How did, how did this all
1: change? How did we become nice and friendly? And it's, a, it's different. All right. So there's the local answer and the national trend answer. Let me take the national trend answer first. I think some of this is the age of social media and the younger generation just throughout the United States and throughout the world that lives on Instagram and TikTok and are a little more sensitive to people's feelings as a whole.
0: Mike, I got to tell you, I'm on social media a lot. People, I know, people aren't generally that nice. I'm not sure you're I, aware of that. Well, I, Social media can be a bit of a sewer.
1: It can, but there's another side to it where amongst younger people, and I'm seeing this with my own kids and my friends' kids who are teenagers and in their early 20s, they don't want to hurt each other's feelings on mm. in public. Okay. Okay? So I think that's part of it, and it ties into what else I'm going to say, which is the local aspect of this which is there is a whole generation now of Philadelphia sports fans that has no connection to 1964 yeah, and has no connection to Veterans Stadium and the terrible Eagles teams that played there for so many years. And this generation knows the Phillies, or at least its first introduction to the Phillies, was in 2007 or 2008 when they won five straight division championships and won the World Series. And their introduction to the Eagles is at a time when the Eagles weren't getting their doors blown off by the Cowboys every single year. They were holding their own and then some, and they won a Super Bowl, and they got back to another one. And so that's part of this, too. The generation that identified with Philadelphia sports misery isn't the primary generation that is following Philadelphia sports anymore. Am I wrong?
0: No, you're right. You're right. I think the, the Philadelphia cliche boo bird is is— Largely gone, vestiges yeah. are gone. A lot of them, the boobirds have migrated south to Florida and retired around Clearwater. And we get old, we die. <laughs>
1: I mean, no, no it's true. And, you can and, say that. I can't. I'm no, the San no, If I say, I that.
0: understand. But but yes, the people who lived in 19 through 1964, right? Yes, um, which is where the play I saw. That's where it starts. Right. right? He's living through that. Uh, and Ray Dinger, who's going to join us later, talks about being a freshman at Temple and nearly flunking out of school exactly. in 1964 because he's living through this. Uh, and younger than that for me, when I moved here, there was no championship from two, 1983 to 2008. Not a single. That's a hundred seasons yes. of disappointment. That yep. was that was my introduction to Philadelphia. It was the Fog Bowl, and it was it was Greg Luzinski can't catch the fly ball mm-hmm. because the manager didn't put in Jerry Martin. It was Luzinski gets decapitated. By Scott Stevens, right? It was Chick Monic loses his marbles, it, right?
1: That, it, that, that was it. Was Leon Stickle? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, they, the Sixers can't beat the Lakers, right? All of know, that, that
0: was yeah. my primary years, you know, right. coming into Philadelphia, and those were the moments, and those were the legends for decades. And then, and then Matt stairs hits one into the night. Yep. Um, and then the Philly special. Yep. And and the strip sack fumble on Brady, and we're not losers. We're not supporting losers. They are winners, and you have reason to believe. So I absolutely do think that that is correct. One more thing, because we really ought to go to break. But I'm glad we got into this topic because yeah. you and I have kind of like yeah, discussed is, it off the air a lot. Exactly,
1: it's been the thing. Like, when are we going to bring this yeah, up? <laughs> yeah, why not
0: today? Um, you mentioned the Eagles being better than the Cowboys is a huge part of it. Yeah. Right? We don't have an inferiority complex toward that stupid franchise <laughs> and haven't had to have one right. for years. And the other one you mentioned to me, so I'll let you toss it out because it's Ken Rosenthal. Thing.
1: Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, Kenny made the greatest point, I thought, and it hadn't occurred to me until he said it, which is that replacing Veterans Stadium with Citizens Bank Park in particular and with Lincoln Financial Field, I think, change the disposition of fans at games. When you are not in an old, decrepit, concrete bowl, and look, I went to Phillies games at the vet. I went to Eagles games at the vet. I remember it and think of it fondly, but the environment at Citizens Bank Park is better simply for it being at Citizens Bank Park. It is such a beautiful ballpark. It is hard to have a bad time there. It's fun, yeah.
0: It's fun. It's a walk around. It's a have a good time. Exactly. It's fun. You're it, not. It puts people in a better mood. I, th- I think it's it a great does. point. Absolutely, it's a great point. All right. Hey, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We're gonna get into the Eagles coming up the game tomorrow uh, against the Rams. But we'd love to hear from you about the Philly series or all the stuff we were just talking about. 215-592-9494 with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now. By the way, coming up at 11 o'clock, Brian Anderson of TBS is going to join us. They're calling the game uh, tonight. We'll get his uh, his thoughts on it. And at eleven, I'm sorry, at 12.20 or so, our pal Ray Didinger is going to wander into our studio and spend some time with us as well. Uh, Mike and Glenn, hey, it's time—it's that time of the year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another long cold winter season rolls in. The great people at Guided Door and Window, they're going to help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door window you buy, you get a second one at of 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. So you buy an entry door. You get half off a storm door. You buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. You need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, and then you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven 877 go or visit them at Let's go,
1: G-U-I-D-A.com.
0: Explain what that is, Mike. So that is a
1: clip from the nineteen ninety-three Phillies video yearbook, and it is from the National League Championship Series at Fulton County Stadium. was it no, I guess it was I guess it was Turner Field then. I can't remember if it was Fulton County Stadium or Turner Field. Anyway, there's a group of kids from the Atlanta area out on the field before one of the games, and some of the Phillies players from that ninety-three team are lined up in the dugout with their arms on the, the railing and all that, talking to the kids. And that's Larry Anderson taunting the kids, saying, Braves are going to lose, <laughs> Braves are going to lose. Anybody who watched the, that team's video yearbook remembers that clip.
3: And he was correct. He well, was. here's bad producer moment. That was actually the remake that he did last year oh, in Atlanta was? for game one, where they had T-Mac and Fransky walking as if they're the kids, and L.A. is on the railing saying the same thing. Oh, wow. hey, You didn't have to say that. So right, it was, well, it was like
1: go. New coat. It was a recreation. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> it's a, we're
0: a show of accountability. It's a recreation. Dude. That's all right. All, all right. right. Let's get John in Southampton, who I guess thinks we're wrong about something. What, what are we uh, wrong about there, my boy? Well,
4: you guys do a great job. I, I love you guys. You got to uh, get a show during the week. Uh, don't underestimate the 55-plus club, guys. I mean, I'm 62, so I can recite every story you've said so far and then some. And, you know, you know I go back to Roman Gabriel and Bill Bradley mm-hmm. uh, trying mm-hmm. to – Make those interceptions on those lousy three and eleven teams, that kind of thing. But I think the true test moving forward for this gang right now, generation that's watching all these wins, is when they start to lose. Right? Mm-hmm. When our teams are they still around? I would say to you that I watched them when they lost ninety five and a hundred games, and 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 cheer for them as hard, or maybe harder, when they when they then grow and, and win ninety five to a hundred games. So that's the true test. Of any team, the Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, whatever you want to do. Maybe the saddest commentary is the state of the Flyers today. You know, it's it, Snyder would be sick about this uh, the way they, you know, they've yeah. been trying to find That's magic a- again, and maybe it doesn't it doesn't show up. I don't know, John. Yeah. I think
1: you're making a fair point. Yeah. And the Flyers are a good example of that, right? Glenn and I have talked about this about the indifference around the team and the atmosphere at the Wells Fargo Center the last few years because. The fan base rightly has picked had picked up on the fact that that team really didn't have a chance. I think you're right. I do wonder, though, if, like we said in the last segment, the nature of the environment around the teams now, and by that I mean – The fun of going to Citizens Bank Park changes things a little bit.
0: And I think there's, there's, listen, I think the fans of your generation, which is my generation, which is also people who precede us, this Philly, in no way am I knocking that part of the Philly fan base, which came came and supported bad team after bad team, decade after decade after decade, and went and went and went and kept this thing going. what, what I'm saying is the difference now, and see if you agree or disagree with this, is people under, I'll just pick 35 arbitrarily, they expect to win. We never expected to win.
4: No, I, I, it's a different vibe. I agree. You know, yeah. I've got, I've got, I grew up with a bunch of brothers, so it was easy to play ball every day. I got a wife and two daughters, and to see my girls get so, you know, energized about Eagles and the Phillies, and it's just. And discuss it. The dinner table is just, you know, that's great. Yeah. Hey, enjoy,
0: thrill. enjoy the run, and let's hope it's a long one. Yeah. Please, I, I don't want to, I don't want my, what I'm saying to go out uh, the wrong way. This town has always had an amazing and passionate and supportive fan base. Yes. Always. Mm-hmm. Always. It also had an interesting dynamic based on reality that the teams were always going to crush you in the end. Yes. They were going to break your heart. Yeah. That was pretty much the given and we we knew it, we realized it, but we were there anyway. Yeah. Now, young people don't believe that. They don't. That's and- a big part of the difference and
1: I think that it has made the place more lively. It has. The uh, the one I don't know one but drawback to the present Environment And this shows, I think, my old school way of thinking about these things, Glenn, is that if anything, I find that when someone in the media, let's say someone in my position as a sports columnist for the Inquirer or posting on social media, if someone does try to talk about or write about these teams in, I don't even want to say an objective manner, but oh, a little yeah. bit more of a critical manner. The put the pushback you get now compared to what you would get twenty thirty years ago is much much greater and much much different.
0: You're, you're, you're a hater. Yeah, yeah I know. And that's that annoys me. It, yeah, it annoys me too, Frank. And it's I don't know how that dynamic came to be that you're not allowed to criticize the clubs. That's a that's a very weird one. Yeah,
1: that's the one drawback I would say yeah. to this uh, time I, is the perception that if you are saying whoa wait a minute here let's look at it yeah. from this perspective that oh you're not on board
0: oh you, you you just you just hate this team philly fans reveled in their toughness and their ability to look critically at their own teams right yeah now that's considered a negative i got you that's a good point john and maniunk is with us as a question about the roster or what do you think
5: yes yeah do you think there is a uh Realistic chance they could activate Hoskins. I heard he's taking live batting practice down there. Because If they could, I, I think it would be a would say, piece. I'd say a right-handed sl- bat.
0: Yeah, oh, no, listen, I'd say slim but not impossible. I'm going to put a number on it at 25% chance for I, if they I get to some, the World
1: Series. I saw some reporting on this, John, and I believe the timeline in a best-case scenario would have Hoskins being able to hit if the Phillies were in the World Series. Before that, okay. it's really not possible. Uh, so, look, it would be a, a great thing if that were to happen, uh, to have him, as I think I said a couple weeks ago, come up to bat Kirk Gibson style in yeah. the World Series. And, about the
0: stadium getting alive. Right, right, and him
1: kind of limping up there almost and, and just being strong enough and healthy enough to swing a bat and hit the ball out of the ballpark. But the Phillies have a lot of bridges to cross before they get to that point. I yeah,
0: would be, think, uh,
5: uh would hold him out just no, that, uh, no
0: way. No, no way. He wants to play, man. You know, he, one of the things that I just think is great is Hoskins was injured all year, but he stayed with the team all year. He yep. kept showing up. A lot of times guys get hurt. They're going to go home. They're going to work out. They're going to rest, whatever. They're going to build an addition on their house. He was here. He was here the whole year. And I think that really speaks a lot. I don't know if he'll be here next year. I'd bet against it. I would, too. Right? I mean, you've got your first baseman now, and it's Bryce Harper. Yeah,
1: and the more he plays at first, I think the better he's going to get. He's more athletic than Hoskins is, so the more experience he has and understanding he has of playing the position, he might turn out to be a better defensive first baseman than Hoskins. Here's my was. lineup
0: next year, or that part of the lineup. First mm-hmm. base is Bryce uh, Bryce Harper. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Center field. I got the kid. Rojas. Love the kid. Yeah. Right? Yep, yep, yep. Right field, Castellanos. Mm-hmm. Left field, Marsh. Yeah. I think that, that is... D.H. Schwarber.
1: Yeah. And y- you know y- You save money on hard hats and hazmat suits by not having to put Schwarber in left right. field. Right. I think that works.
0: 215 592 Yes, we're getting into the Eagles in the next segment. We said we would, and we're about to. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. Hey, I had a chance to catch up with the great people at Meridian Bank this week, along with one of their business banking customers. We had a nice beer. We had a nice conversation. And you know what? Over the years, I've met a lot of business owners who Meridian works with. Each time, I'm just blown away at how highly they speak, a Meridian Bank, and the relationships that they have forged. Knowing the people, the team at Meridian, it's no surprise. They're the preferred bank of business and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself is entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas. They know how to understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. Eagles, Rams, Sunday. (laughs) Uh, Well, the pregame starts at 2, countdown to kickoff. With Ross Tucker, Dave Spadaro, and I starts at one, and then uh, two to two to four, and then Merrill and Mike on the call.
1: You've you've now done Merrill and Harry in the first. Uh... That
0: wasn't really Merrill I was doing that was that was the guy who just did the
1: oh okay the, 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 the little bridge. read coming in. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Was, oh, and, yeah. and before we go any farther, I want to shout out the person on Twitter who corrected me. I've got blisters on my fingers from Helter Skelter. It Was not John Lennon. It was Ringo Starr. Uh, I don't want to give short shrift to Ringo. So. Now Ringo
0: was great, man. Yeah. Ringo remains great. Um, All right. Eagles-Rams tomorrow. Yes. Shoot out, my boy. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. The Eagles secondary is kind of a mess. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, Matthew Stafford appears to be healthy and kind of in a bit of groove. Uh, Yeah, his stats aren't great, but he's playing better than his numbers. Cooper Cup's coming back. Mm Mm-hmm. They got the one kid, Tutu? What the uh, Puka
0: Nakua. Puka Nakua. God, what a great name.
1: The, he's the he's a good player. He's yeah. got 39 catches in four games as yeah. a rookie. It's a rookie record.
0: Yeah, so he looks, he looks terrific. So I got to believe the Rams are going to put up some points.
1: Yeah, I mean, they... Matt Stafford is the best quarterback that the Eagles will have faced so far this season. Right. And that is concerning. Let's put it that okay. way if you're an Eagles fan. Yes. Okay.
0: So, you got that, which is which is the Rams are going to score. Now, on the flip side, the Rams corners stink. Yes. The Eagles have a terrific passing game. The Eagles have two great wideouts.
1: Yeah, it's been terrific at times this season. This okay. could be a game where they get well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's the the offense, the offense put up a lot of points last week, but yes, people believe and I don't disagree that the Eagles offense has not really yet hit the groove other than DeAndre right. Swift. Yes. Okay. Nonetheless, they put they put up 34 spot last week. They won. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put up
1: 34 against the Vikings. Right. You know, running the ball all over the yeah, place. yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Can, they can score. Sure. Right. So
0: it's not like they're scoring 12 points a game. They're scoring points, and we know how good they can be. The Eagles are going to score a lot of points tomorrow. It's going to be a shootout. So the question is, how do you win that shootout? How do you stop their passing game when they got these good wide receivers? Mm-hmm. Well, their offensive line's not that good.
1: It's not great. Not great. Okay. So where does this lead us, Mr. Mack?
0: Well, this leads us to you're going to win this game with your defensive line. Yeah. Now, yeah. there's an issue there because you're missing Fletcher Cox.
1: Yes. He's going to miss his first game since, I think, 2017. Yeah. With, uh, what is it, a back thing? What? A, uh, I'm drawing a blank on what, what Fletcher's got. He's got, got a back. Back, yeah. Yeah which, you know, he's 34 whatever he is, like you're going to have a bad year. Yeah, but problem. he's having he's having a good year. He is. Okay. Yes.
0: So you're going to have to get sacks somewhere my boy. Mhm. Uh I don't believe that I can count on Nicholas Morrow to come up with three sacks <laughs> Another three? again. Another
1: 3? You, you he, mean Lawrence Taylor? <laughs> he was
0: he was not part of the stupid football bet he, this he year. He he was not. He but, was not. But, I wish I had picked him. Let me say, over those, let's do a quick update on the Mike Sielski glenn Macnow stupid football bet because Mike last week 4:23 left in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. tie game. Washington has the ball at its own 30. Second and 10. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen?
1: Was it wrong that I stood up and cheered in the press box? No, when that I, happened? I don't know
0: no. no I did once did that on a, on a on a punt. Yeah,
1: ripped my shirt off <laughs> and said, "Yeah, Haas! Uh, Yeah,
0: looking for me. Yeah. <laughs> Problem is, they only gave. Did they only give him half a sack though? They did. I think. I didn't look at the numbers. Are you kidding me? Maybe they gave him one.
1: I hope they gave him. Let me check. Hold okay. Hold on a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that right All now. All right.
0: Maybe they gave him one. You know what I think it is. I think there was a time later when he should have had a half, and they didn't give it to him.
1: So no, they did. gave him a full sack. Okay, they so did. he got
0: the full sack. He got cheated a little bit later, I thought, out of a half a sack or a little bit earlier. Anyway, Washington. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm petitioning the NFL about that. We're going to yes. get that reversed.
0: Uh, by the way, Washington ends up punting there, and the Eagles get the ball, and they can just like take their sweet time and go down the field and kick a winning oh, field no, no, goal. Oh,
1: no, 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 no. We're going to score a touchdown as fast as we possibly can. How, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I'm a little nervous, a little nervous. It was really an
0: odd thing where they score a touchdown in that pass to, to um, A.J. Brown, and I'm thinking, I wish there wasn't what was left, a minute 47? Yeah, minute 47, and yeah. Washington
1: had at least one timeout left, and they had thrown the ball all over your defense, the entire field. And then it was, we watched everything play out, and then the wisdom of what, you are proposing they should have done, run out the clock and kick the field goal, was reaffirmed that night in the Chiefs-Jets game, Yeah, when Patrick Mahomes slid short of the end zone yep. to make sure that the Chiefs could run out the clock yeah, instead of scoring it, it a worked.
0: touchdown. Yeah, it worked. And in a, you also know you can count on Jake Elliott, because he ends up winning the game with right. this tremendous field goal and so on. Listen, I, it's, I, it's a soft criticism of the coach for mm-hmm. going for the touchdown, because... It's difficult to rip a guy for going for a touchdown. And getting it. Yeah. And getting it. So this is, consider this a very mild criticism. But I wish they had gone for the field goal. One other thing I just want to say about that game is questionable decision. When Washington comes down and scores at the end of the game, mm. and they're down one, and the Eagles defense is Gassed. You just marched an um uh, how many eighty? Well, they got the penalty on AJ yeah, after the touchdown, yeah. so, so whatever, sixty something yards downfield for a touchdown in a minute and a half.
1: How do you not go for two and just put them away? So, <laughs> I saw David Aldridge, who writes for the Athletic yeah. now, used to write uh, for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and of course has covered the NBA forever, and he covers Washington. And I said. If you're Ron Rivera, don't you have to go for it there? And this is an insight into the psyche of people who have followed the commanders for years and years. David's immediate response was, oh, no, there was no way they were getting that two-point conversion. They absolutely should have kicked the extra
0: wow, point. Wow, the, the old Philadelphia fan. Exactly,
1: exactly. But I'm with you, Mentality. Glenn. Mentality. They clearly should have. You have a chance to beat the reigning NFC champion on the road. Take it. Right. and. You had all the momentum, right? You got to change his nickname to Paddleboat Ron. I well, think. Right? He
0: used to be Riverboat Ron, the gambling guy. Not now. Not anyway, anymore. thank you, Ron. You don't do it. Eagles end up winning the game on the Elliott field goal, which was great. So, but back to the stupid football bet. Yes. Uh, the the basis of the stupid football bet is sacks. For those who don't know, Mike has Hassan Reddick. He's now got one. Woo! And he's got a little momentum on his side. On Cast the board. is off. Looked good the other day. We're turning this
1: organization around.
0: I have every player out of Georgia, <laughs> which is Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. I think Nolan Smith's going to get some play tomorrow. He I think I'm going to get is. my first Nolan Smith points and, uh, Keeley Ringo, if he yeah. ever gets a little sack, if he gets missing, anywhere near a quarterback, right? it could ever. happen. You never know. Um, so, Anyway, it's three to one, I think. Right? It's three three to one. That is correct. Okay. Uh, so, I but you're on the board, and there's a long it. way to go, and things are happening. But tomorrow, without Fletcher Cox, I think it's the defensive line is going to really have to have impact because it's going to be.
1: Uh, do you agree? It's going to be a high scoring game. I agree. It's going to be a high scoring game. I agree. The defensive line has to have impact, not only because it's the best way to stop Stafford and those receivers but because the defensive line did not play well against Washington mm-hmm. on Sunday. We all went into that game thinking that Sam Howe was going to be running for his life all day, and he really wasn't. No, he was uh, running
0: for gains all day.
1: Yeah, and they had opportunities to take him down and didn't. Uh, going back and watching the film, there wasn't a lot of gap dis- discipline amongst, particularly the young defensive tackles, uh, Carter and Davis, uh, and, the, and Washington was able to move the ball. God, I keep wanting to call them their old name. and yeah. yeah. Can't do that anymore. Uh, But they have to be better because Stafford is better than Sam Howell and he's better than Kirk Cousins and he's better than Mac Jones and he's better than Baker Mayfield. So with the exception of Mayfield, all three of those previous quarterbacks have moved the ball against the Eagles and thrown it downfield against the Eagles, and Stafford can certainly do that, so they've got to get to him.
0: Amen. 215-592-9494. Tell people about our next guest. I'm excited
1: about this. So, yeah, we're going to have Brian Anderson from Turner Sports who – Many of you probably know from calling Major League Baseball games, particularly in the playoffs over the years, NBA broadcaster, he is the Brewers play-by-play guy full-time. We're going to have him on uh, in a couple of minutes to talk about this Phillies-Braves series and Phillies playoff moments from the past because he's been there for a few doozies. Yeah,
0: so he'll be joining us. 215-592-9494. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. Hey, it's that time of year again and consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another long, cold winter season rolls in. And the great people at Guided Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, will you save 50% on half your project? The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down. Interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com.
1: 94 WIP, Mike Sielski here with Glenn Mack. Now until 1 o'clock, as usual, coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to have uh, Brian Anderson from Turner Sports, who's going to be calling the Phillies Braves NLDS Series. little
0: uh, roster move by the Phillies today yeah. in preparation for the next round. Nothing surprising, but Michael Lorenzen back on the twenty-six man and uh, Walt Williams, Willie Wilson. Weston which, Wilson. There you go.
1: <laughs> is off the roster, oh, no. which is good. You're going to need <laughs> to remember his name. Yeah. You might need another bullpen arm. Yeah. Uh, especially given as we talked about earlier, that Ranger Suarez, if you get five or six innings out of him, that's kind of a moral victory, I guess you'd say. And, uh, they had used, they had pulled Ranger out of game one last year after what, three and a third innings and mm-hmm. it was a bullpen game the rest of the way. So you're going to need arms. And so the idea of having Lorenz in there, uh, I think is a good thing. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier in the show, Glenn, about how good the Braves are offensively, and I was just looking at the numbers a little bit during the break. They have three guys in their starting lineup who hit forty home runs at least. Yeah. It's crazy to look at that one through nine That's and crazy. see how good yeah. they are. There's nobody
0: to pitch around. No. There really isn't. And what those three doesn't include Austin Riley, right? Who hit like thirty six? He
1: hit thirty seven. The thirty seven. <laughs> Ozzie Albies hit thirty three. Yeah. You have every single hitter in that lineup has an OPS of at least 740. Yeah. It's it's nuts. Like you said, it's, it's as good as or better than the 27 Yankees.
0: Yeah. It doesn't get the attention because baseball doesn't get the attention it used to as a national sport. We know our team. Mm-hmm. We know the Phillies had six guys with 20 home runs, which right. is the first time they've ever done that. So we can and we should celebrate that. But baseball is no longer a a sport that people follow it nationally.
1: No, it's a regional sport. You're right. There's been a lot um, written in the last week or so about how compelling the Phillies were and yet not getting traction nationally. Definitely getting traction locally, but not getting traction nationally. Anyway, uh, joining us now uh, from Turner Sports uh, is Brian Anderson and Brian... Before we turn to you for your perspective on your series, we just wanted to play this. The 13th anniversary of this call was yesterday. So, Brian, you got the chance mm. to call Holiday's no-hitter 13 years ago yesterday. You got the chance to call Shane Victorino's Grand Slam at Citizens Bank Park back in 2008, which is an iconic moment around here uh, in Philly's history and in Philly sports. What is the environment? What has the environment at Citizens Bank Park been like in the moments that you've gotten the chance to call playoff baseball here? Oh,
6: man, thanks for playing that. that it's a great memory, and I'm... Uh, this will be my first Phillies series in the postseason since 2010. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's great to get back on the Phillies. I was with the Phillies for three straight years, 08, 09. Remember we had the snow-out game in, in Denver. Joe Simpson and I called that series, too. Oh, yes. And then in 2010, of course, um, I think um, I, well, I I can still like feel the feelings of that no-hitter. And uh, I had called a few no-hitters in the minor leagues. Um, I called Justin Verlander's no-hitter in the big leagues a few years prior. That was 07. So, you know, I'd, I'd done it before and called no-hitters and thought about it and, you know, talked to legends like Harry Callis and Vin Scully about the jinx factor and all of those things that broadcasters worry about. Um, but, man, it was uh, it was an out-of-body experience. Uh, the crowd was so great, always has been there. It, whatever I'm doing, whether it's NBA, um or baseball at citizens bank park. Um, it's, it's always electric and just, uh, there's a great, uh, vibe in that ballpark, a great feeling. There's, I don't know. I just, I love everything about it. I love the PA announcer. I love the music, the big scoreboard. Um, so 2008 was a little bit of a challenge because that was the first year I had just gotten to the big leagues as an announcer the year before And so I did the Brewers, and I still do the Brewers. I do about 50 games uh, for the Brewers. But that year, obviously, the Brewers and Phillies, and I was kind of shocked that they put me on that series. Um, So immediately had to, you know, put on my national hat. And um, I can remember going in there, I was scared to death because, (laughs) you know, Philly Philly media, especially there were some sports writers that in the press box, I could, uh, during the workout day, I was overhearing them just like, I can't believe they brought this guy from Milwaukee. Can't they get a regular announcer? And they were killing me, you know. <laughs> I'm so, I'm sorry guy. about
1: that, Brian. I didn't mean to yeah. to insult you.
6: <laughs> so, no, but I, I could, um, you know, from the outside, it was like, why are we hiring a local Brewers announcer to do the national games? And, you know, that was a really big break for me to to bust into the national uh, scope. So, anyway, uh, the Phillies won that and everything was fine. And by the end of it, it was all good and a lot of love. But, um uh, once 2010 hit, you know, that was a, for me personally, that was a career changer, that no hitter. Um, that, that was like the moment my bosses, I think, felt like they could trust me with the big games. And, um, you know, so I always have a special place for Philadelphia for those reasons. And um, I, love, I love doing any game there, any playoff game in the NBA or, or MLB, I, I relish the idea of doing a game. In Philadelphia, because you know you are going to get the best, and it's going to sound amazing and look amazing. And if you are flipping through the channels on a college football Saturday, that's kind of where you want to stop, you know. So I, I love being in Philadelphia for these moments.
0: Well, you did a nice job on that one, by the way, letting the moment breathe. Uh, and it was, and it was, Listen, it's it's an iconic moment here in our town. Uh, so you are doing it this year, and your partner is Jeff Francoeur, and it's an interesting choice because he played for both the Phillies and the Braves. I don't know if you've had a choi- a chance to talk to Jeff and kind of get the download <clears throat> from him on how he views kind of the fan bases, the towns, and all of that.
6: Oh, loves them both. He's uh, you know he's 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 uh, he's like that Labrador with the oh, muddy yeah. paws. You know he's just uh, <laughs> one of the all time greatest uh, human beings, and the way he looks at life. And you know he's he's he loved his time in Philly, and he's already got golf set up for us in Philadelphia. I mean this guy's like. <laughs> he is the the mayor wherever we go. So, and we did the Braves two years ago, Frenchie and I with Ron Darling, we did the LCS with the Dodgers and Braves. So he's, he's done his teams before. And, you know, I don't think he thinks about that at all. Uh, you know, as far as working mm-hmm. for one team or the other, um, it's pretty easy. I know fans find it hard to believe, but it is pretty easy to flip the switch and just, you know, we're, we're very assembly line oriented. We, we go pitch to pitch inning by inning. We, you know, we're, trying to get our ducks in a row too to make sure we're presenting what's on the field in the proper way so um maybe afterwards it's a little different when you're around the people you know the best but he loves Philadelphia and and I do too and you know we we've been texting and chatting we knew we were kind of we were going to be on this series so we've you know we've kind of been I don't know I wouldn't say hoping but that the Phillies Braves I mean that's kind of what we're all shooting for and uh, it's going to be a huge ratings pull, I'm sure, and great fan bases both places. So, uh, we I love the booth. Both of us love the boots in each place. That matters too, you know. We get down to the details, like how far away is the bathroom from the press box? You know? so, <laughs> yeah, that's important stuff. Yeah, absolutely. things. quality of life issues matter. <laughs> you guys are of a certain age too. You can appreciate. So we, that's really important to us, and uh, you know, access to the field, and you know, yep. all of those things matter to us. Um, so. We're um, yeah, all good. I mean, all positive, mm-hmm. our our technical crew is all positive, and they love both spots. I was talking to a couple of our camera operators yesterday, and they, they love the setups in both venues, too. It's, I wouldn't you know it's easy for them, but it also it allows them to be artists, which they are, you mm-hmm. know, all the audio techs and the camera operators and the video people and the tape people. They're, they're all artists and skilled, and they get to really be at their best because of the palette um, both places offer.
1: So, we're talking to Brian Anderson from Turner Sports, who's going to be calling the Phillies-Braves Divisional Series. So, Brian, let's get down to the details here between these two teams. You know, the Braves are a machine. They won 104 games this season. They hit 307 home runs. Glenn and I were just speaking about their lineup and its depth and its power, and, you know, Ronald Acuna is probably going to be the most valuable player. And then you have the Phillies, who – seem, I think, to be the team. Yes, they're the defending National League champions, uh, but they kind of have this underdog quality to them, in part because they finished 14 games behind the Braves and 10 games behind the Dodgers, and also because they just seem to give off this vibe that you don't want to play them in the playoffs. They're they're tough. They're together. How do you see this series shaking out, Uh, and how vital is game one, today to the outcome of the series
6: well it's a pick them for me i think it, it could go either way they're, they're evenly matched um it it is funny and i, I appreciate the underdog notion and i if philly fans want to go there go for it i work for the milwaukee brewers so there's nothing underdog about the phillies and their roster <laughs> and their payroll so it's i think that they, they've got pedigree mm-hmm. they've got talent up and down the lineup Uh, The Braves are historically good offensively. I mean, maybe the best lineup. I've said this on the air many times, but especially my time in the major leagues, which is 17 years, but the best lineup I've ever seen. And statistically, they kind of grade out as one of the greatest lineups ever. The problem is they haven't played in, you know, six days it's going to be. So um, it was interesting at the workouts yesterday, though just watching the Braves pitchers who have been in these, they've played these inter-squads, they've brought fans in. They they actually drew about, I don't know, three, 4,000 people a game uh, just for these three inter-squad games. Mm-hmm. And they did the PA and had the music and everything yeah. going. And the Braves pitchers look shell-shocked because they've had to face their own lineup for three days. And <laughs> all these guys are coming out. Marcelo Zuna was over at the Phillies batting cage yesterday, and he's in a great mood. And, Austin Riley and Matt Olson and Acuña, they've been hitting bombs off their own pitching staff. So they they're a little rattled, I think, <laughs> the Braves pitching staff. Might might, um, might not
1: be the outcome uh and no. and the setup that these Braves pitchers want.
6: I think Brian Snitker the last day Thursday kind of ditched that whole plan and went just with all the like relievers that you might not see or you'd only see in in a losing scenario, but um no, I, I do think the Phillies You know, in a five-game series, that's the best time to get a team like the Braves. Uh, They've been on the shelf. Uh, Those inner squads are not matching the game intensity that the Phillies just went through. Um, And then they're really lined up well with their pitching. So, obviously, game one is huge. I don't think if the Phillies don't win game one, I mean, I feel like their perspective, and that's pretty much every road team ever in the history of time, you can just earn a split in those first two games. So there is some pressure and some urgency on the Braves, for sure, because they have their ace going in strider, and I do believe there is some pressure on them. And, and, you know, there's the the oldest adage in baseball, good pitching beats good hitting. And at some point, you know, that great hitting that the Braves have have posted, they're going to have a bad game or two, and in a five-game series, that can get you, and that's what happened last year. Um, The Braves tried to do things differently this year. Bringing in the crowd, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make a game environment that—those are all new things that Walt Weiss suggested, um, based on his experience when they shut down in '89 because of the earthquake. Tony Larusa brought in fans that right. could come watch, and they had the PA, and they did all these things to try to generate some sort of urgency. You know, I can't officially report it, but I think there was some heavy wagering going on between the teams too to add a little juice to the game. So,
5: um,
6: <laughs> I just think it. This is a good time for the Phillies to be here, but, man, there's so much talent on both of these teams. Uh, If the talent shines, um, and they've been through, like, wars, postseasons, World Series in both cases the last two years, I don't think crowd, venue, layoff, I don't think any of that really matters to start. Now, it may show up that it matters, but, you know, the Braves are going to have Strider and Freed at least four of those games, and that's pretty tough tough to deal with. So, um, you know, I love the series, man. You could go a million miles. Deep. I was just looking at the rosters. So they just published the rosters. I don't know if you guys have seen that yet, yeah. but
5: mm-hmm.
6: so, you know, yeah. you, the Phillies went with 13 pitchers, Right. Which they is added the Macs, Michael Michael to Yeah. Correct. And then the Braves only went with 12. So they obviously, you know, there's a few spots where they're going to need pinch hitters or pinch runners. And so they've added two, two players um, to that mix to try to, Accomplished that, force Wall and Von and so I think that tells you a little bit too how you uh, set it up at the back of the of the uh, roster.
0: Ryan Anderson is our guest; he's doing the play-by-play uh, today uh, on TBS and uh, throughout the series. Um, all right, so if the Phillies are to win, let's just kind of do the keys keys to the series. If the Phillies are to win, is it
4: sponsored? We yeah, don't do but, keys unless they're sponsored.
0: Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, it's sponsored by Mike and I getting lunch afterwards. Yeah. Uh, if the Phillies are to win the series, what would you say is the 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 primary reason they would have an opportunity to win?
6: Uh, pitching and stolen bases would be my two stolen things bases? that need to shine. Yeah, because yeah, I think I think the Phillies are going to run wild. To be honest with you, and I know it's a major concern of the Braves and. Both of their catchers throw it well, but you know, in this day and age, with the bigger bases and um, just the way the game is is run, I think Trey Turner. I mean, if he gets on, if he gets on a couple times a game, even uh, he he may steal 10 bases in the series. It's that's a lot, it's a big number, but
5: wow. he's going
6: to run. I think he's especially with two strikes, he's really good about that. And I think he kind of had the throttle on for the season. I'm not saying he could have stolen 70. But there's a big difference in the regular season. Watching Acuna versus Turner, Acuna always is thinking run every single pitch, puts so many so much pressure on the pitcher, and I think that will start to show up in the postseason now for all the series, but especially teams that can run and have you know have speed and and it's not just stolen bases, the first to third. So let me just say pitching and the base running, which okay. would include going the extra bases, scoring from first, all those running through stop signs, <laughs> all those little things
1: mm-hmm.
6: uh, that the Phillies have done in the first two games of the wild-card series.
1: And, and on the Braves' end of things, how big a factor do you think it is that Freed has this blister? Uh, we've seen this before. Josh Beckett famously had blister problems, and they really hampered him in his career years ago. Uh, it seems to me that you know that's that's a big deal, the fact that Freed is not necessarily at 100%.
6: Oh, you're on it. I mean, 100%. That's a major, major concern. And uh, he pitched five innings in, in the inner squad the other day. <clears throat> the first inning was with, without the Band-Aid, the wrap, protected. And then um, then he put it back on. I mean, nobody's saying this, and, I, you know, who am I? But that, that tells me there was a hot spot or something. Right, right. Because you wouldn't put it back. You'd probably try to see how far you can go without it. Because the goal is, with a blister, even though it's such a tiny thing, I mean, we're talking about like a pinprick almost. Right. It's a very small thing, but it's right where everything comes off his hand. Every pitch, every um, except the curveball. So if you start seeing a lot of curveballs from Freed mm. on Monday, that might give you an indication. But you know, the all, the fastball, the changeup, everything he's throwing is kind of ripping off that finger. Um, I don't think there'll be an issue for Game One. Or his first game, let's say game two, I think the issue might become what happens his next time around if Mm -hmm. he does go back, let's say in a game five as it gets there. Because what you have to do is you, you know, you have to kind of scrape that blister off. You're trying to get into a callus. But every time you do that and you put some kind of substance on there, which is allowed by baseball, you can put. Right. I mean, I don't want to call it super glue, but that's basically what it is. It's like a real sticky mm-hmm. thing to keep the skin together. But when you take that off, which is required to try to clean it um, after you start, then that rips all those layers of skin off, and you're kind of right back where you started. So the choice is you leave it back on, which becomes calloused, and then you right. don't really have that feel, or do you take it off? So I think game one, no problem. He's, he's kind of dealt with it. Um, maybe more importantly, he hasn't really pitched a lot because of the blisters. So right. they try to do things to keep the arm strength up and all that.
2: but right. he hasn't I mean, been that's the, the question games. is how sharp yeah. is he
1: going to be uh, even if he's out there and, and his finger feels fine? Bri- yeah, Brian, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. We appreciate it. We'll all be listening uh, tonight for Game 1 and on your calls throughout the series. And, uh, you know, tell Frenchie we all said hello. Yeah, and we look forward to World. seeing you here.
6: Oh Yeah, I can't wait to get to Citizens Bank again. I'm looking forward to that.
1: Brian, thanks so much.
6: All right, my pleasure. All
1: right. That was Brian Anderson from Turner Sports, uh, who will be calling the series on television. That's a good job. I, he, I, he's I, terrific. I, I enjoy listening to him. I, I do, too. I really like him. Uh, I always judge an announcer, by, generally speaking, by like how excited do they get in the big moments, do they handle the big moments well, and how easy are they to take in everything else? Right? Uh-huh. Those are the two things I'm looking for. And Anderson is really good in both situations.
0: And as you saw from the Halliday no-hitter, he is also somebody who knows, he doesn't talk too much. Right. Which is a fault of some announcers. Tony Romo. Which is Romo's, one. Di- <laughs> Romo's disease. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: You know, guy just talks all over every single big moment. Anyway, um, we'll get a call in quickly before the break here. Linda from Bala, one of our favorites. Hi, Linda. How are you?
2: Hello, gentlemen.
1: Now, how could I be anything but wonderful? Yeah.
2: yeah. And my shwarby is too much to bear. When he smacks them home runs, I come out of that chair. I'm seeing Wonder. a
0: leadoff home run tonight right around 6.09 p.m. I would certainly love
1: that. Oh, yeah. But you know what's good about this team? Lay it um, on us, Linda. Excuse me? No, go ahead. Say it. Say what you were going to say uh what's good is there's a mixture of all
2: kinds of excitement cuz you never know who's going to be a hero day to day there's not one guy or two or three it could be Pache right and you never even thought and marshy uh i mean it's just so wonderful
0: you know, it's, who who drove in the winning run to get them into the playoffs?
2: Scotty. No.
0: No. No, to, no, to get them into the playoffs, it was that young rookie center fielder. That's right. Johan Rojas. So making um, your point that it comes from everywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been there. Linda, thank you for the call. We got to hit a break, unfortunately, but it's always Go good ahead. to hear from you. Thank you We, you we appreciate so much. it. Hey, pleasure. Um yeah, look, that's that's one of the reasons to feel good about them is their depth.
0: And she mentioned Brad Marsh and or Brandon Marsh. <laughs> Nobody's gonna,
1: mentioned Brad Marsh.
0: I know he's still on gonna, WIP since I, 1989. I'll still do that once in a while. That's anyway, okay. Um, he's doing a great
1: job. I'm sure it's not his favorite role, but as a cheerleader, he's handling it. He's very he's right. handling it. It yeah. would be easy for him to be sulking around, and he's not. He's not, and he's he's taking this in stride. And look, again, that's part of the reason to think that the Phillies can pull this off and beat this. This remarkable Braves team. Um, coming up, we're going to do what we're watching. I actually went to the movies this wow, week and uh, saw a film that I'll fill you in about it once we get back. We got Ray Dittinger coming up in the next hour. He's going to join us in the studio. And of course, we are taking your calls at 215 592 9494. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on 94WIP.
0: All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Guide to Door and Window. by a window or door. Get the second one and a half off. With 18 months interest-free financing, call Guide to Door and Window at one eight seven seven 877 go or visit go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. You actually, let me see if I got this right, <laughs> left your house, uh, presumably company, your wife, maybe?
1: Uh, we were celebrating our 16th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank it you. Got in a car and drove to something's called a movie theater. So- We went to dinner and then we went to the local theater uh, in town and saw a movie called Dumb Money, which is based on a true story and from reading about it, loosely based on the GameStop short selling incident back from 2021. If anybody remembers this, this was back when uh, people started buying up GameStop stock and kind of threw the stock market into turmoil.
0: Yeah, like regular people just all got together, right? Right. And just bought up, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thinking that, uh, making a play that big-time brokers uh, were going to short sell. It, I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of how this works. The point being, the movie is basically framing this incident from 2021 as kind of a David and Goliath story. You have these really, really rich Billionaire hedge fund guys, and they control the entire market. And here is a guy out of his basement with a YouTube channel and, you know, posting on Reddit who figures out how to take down the big guys financially and get rich in the process. Uh, Paul Dano is in it. He plays the YouTuber who uh, leads this financial revolt. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Paul Dano, he's a terrific actor. He was in he played the Riddler in the Batman he was great as Brian Wilson in a movie nobody saw called Love and Mercy about the Beach Boys. Nice. Highly recommend that movie. And it's got a terrific cast. Seth Rogen plays one of these billionaire hedge fund guys and is a little different than Seth Rogen usually is. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who people will know from Law and Order Criminal Intent and Private Pile and Full Metal Jacket, actually plays Steve Cohen. I who- love Vincent. Wait. He plays Steve Coe, who now owns the Mets. Yeah, yes. really? Yes. Wow, he does. that's okay. um, Pete Davidson from Saturday Night Live is in it. He plays uh, the main character's brother, who's kind of a ne'er do well and wants the the brother to take care of him once he's you know starting to make money and all of these things. It it is an it is framed as an underdog story, Glenn. You're supposed to root for all these ordinary Joes, yep. who figure out how to beat the big billionaire guys. And it's funny at times, and it's very well acted. The issue I had with it was what this comes down to is basically a bunch of people getting together online as a mob and trying to upset the system and take down these billionaires, which is fine in this moment in the sense that who loves a billionaire, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's very much a populist, hey, the little man is striking back against the powerful people. I'm rooting for them. The only issue with it was that I had was that it showed how easy it was for a bunch of people to just get together on the Internet and take somebody down. And it led me to think, like, wow, like it's really easy for a mob to get together and just decide to be terrible to somebody.
0: Well, we've seen evidence of that in our city, the flash mobs and so on. Exactly.
1: Or, hey, we're all just going to vote for this particular political candidate. Or we're all just going to target this person who we don't like. And in the course of... Watching the movie, at least I felt like, okay, like I don't love the billionaires and they're bad guys, but is what's happening here all that different? Is it all that better? And so I came away from it thinking, like, the people who I was supposed to root for, I wasn't really rooting for as much as the oh. filmmakers wanted me okay. to. So I give it two stars out of four. Oh, just okay. Yeah, just okay. okay. So.
0: Uh, well, I'm watching a show kind of between Phillies games and Eagles games. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. when do you have time to watch uh, shows? You know what? What I usually find is, like, late afternoon, mm-hmm. I say to my wife, like, you know what? I'm, I got to veg out. I got to, it's like, all right, we'll watch a show before dinner. Oh, ah, okay. So that's it. And this show, the show I'm watching is called The After Party. Uh, it, it initially came out in 2022 so it's currently in season 2 but I just caught up with season 1 it's on Apple TV plus you know recommended it our, our pal Anthony Sanfilippo That's he, know, he knows Hockey, acting baseball theater director all yeah. those things yeah he recommended it and I'm glad he did um it's a murder mystery okay but it's a comedy think Think. Did you like Glass Onion? Do you like the Clue? I know you like Clue. I like Clue a lot. Okay. I didn't see Glass Onion. Okay. If you like those kind of things, that's it. There's two seasons. I said, I'm on season one. And the story is, it's a 15th high school reunion. Uh, and then they all go to the after party. And so you've got the backstory that everybody lived through. you got the cool kid and, mm-hmm. and the snooty pretty girls and the nerd and the jock who's now bitter at age 35 and all of that. And they all carry that baggage that they did back in high school, the unrequited crushes right, and the right. lingering grudges. <laughs> uh, and they end up at the after party. And one of them, who was nobody special back then, but became a world-famous rapper-musician. okay. Well, in the first episode, he takes a tumble from a six-story balcony. Ooh. And now we got a murder mystery. Who, at the reunion after party, killed him? So here's what's cool about it. Um, there are, I think there's eight episodes. I've seen six. I think there's eight episodes. Each one is told from a perspective of a different person at the party. Okay. So one is like, here's Mike's story, and mm. here's Julie's story, and here's this story. Um, and adding to the shtick, each episode is done in a different cinematic style. Oh. So one of them is a rom-com, and one of them is a musical and one of them is a film noir, and one of them is a bit of a horror story. And so each episode is created and shown Mm -hmm. in a different way that's a gimmick that I think kind of works because it makes it fun and interesting and exciting. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. The center of it is Tiffany Haddish, Mm -hmm. who's the cop. She's the Columbo. She's the lead detective. She's also got most of the really funny lines in it. Um, and there's a lot of actors that you will recognize in a, oh, hey, I saw that guy, right. you know, he was in Veep and this was the guy from Parks and Rec. And mm-hmm. it's like a lot of the actors who are not like the primary actors, but you know them and it's good. Um, I think it's funny. It's really fun. It's clever. Um, each show is about like b- between 30, it's because it's on Apple. Mm-hmm. They can do whatever length they want. So each show is like 35 to 40 okay. minutes. Okay. So it's a nice length, too. And it shows how people, like, you're still back in high school. You mm-hmm. never really escaped that thing. Uh, and so I highly recommend this show. It's called The After Party. It's on Apple TV. It's fun. If you, you know, you're going to be busy this week, you got the Eagles, you got the Phillies, you got a lot going on. But if you want to see just something different, I recommend The After Party. There's now season two which has bigger names. Ken Young, Gian oh, yeah. is in season two. Sure. Elizabeth
1: Perkins is in season two.
0: Oh, wow. oh, I think cool. the first season did well, so they got like some bigger names. You, you
1: know why I'm going to watch this show, Glenn, and I am going to watch it. I'll fit it in between the Phillies and the Eagles, is my 30th high school reunion is coming up two weeks from today. Uh,
0: <laughs> I did not go to mine. This You didn't? No, and it was a biggie. <sighs> and I, like, I, I, it was, listen, I grew up in Buffalo. I was back in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And I had people reach out. you going to come? Are you going to? And it's like, mm. Those were not my
1: glory days. They they weren't for me either, uh, but I'm looking forward to going. I still am in contact with several people from my yeah. well, graduating local. class. Yeah, and local, too. So yeah. we're all going to get together and have a few drinks and yeah. just reminisce. Going back
0: to a high school reunion to me, as this one shows, sometimes you can't escape the pain of who you were in mm-hmm. high school, and I was I was not the cool kid in high school. Neither was I. I know, that'll shock you. <laughs> I was I was not the jock in high school because I was like five foot four when I graduated. You high and school. I, it sounds
1: like you and I had very similar yeah. high school experiences. I was
0: like the the, the art student kid yeah, you know, it was anyway i hey, don't I, need to see it
1: no i i entered ninth grade with braces glasses as the new kid yeah it was it was a
0: struggle for a right. while there I, um, I had braces and
1: glasses and yeah.
0: scrawny and yeah, all of it yeah all so, of it God, no. oh. now now i'm gonna no. have
1: to go see a counselor after this show okay <laughs> but this show is really good watch
0: watch after party on apple tv plus i give it a three and a half out of four awesome. and yours is two out of four and the name of it is oh uh dumb money Some money. Okay, there you go. Hey, this is our pal, Ben. So, Ben is the guy. If you go to Eagles games, Ben is a fan facilitator, fan greeter, and Ben is always there with the energy. He's part of our pregame. What's up,
2: Gwen? How are you?
0: As I said, the energy's always there. Wow. Ben, how do you feel about the Eagles tomorrow?
4: I think we're going to beat L.A. I think we're going to do it.
1: And do you have any thoughts on the Phillies against the Braves? I think the Phillies are going to sweep the Braves. Sweep them. Wow. You know, Ben, my colleague Dave Murphy at the Inquirer picked the Phillies to sweep the Braves. It's one thing for a Phillies fan, particularly an enthusiastic one like you, to say there's going to be a sweep. But Murph is go- putting himself out there by saying that the Phillies are going to beat the Braves in three. So it's good that you're lending him support.
5: Yes, absolutely. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, We're great Ben. great, man.
0: It's a terrific day. The weather's lovely. We're excited about the weekend. Now, you've got an event coming up. Tell us about that.
4: So we have um, a fundraiser tomorrow for the Eagles Autism Foundation at PJ Rohan's in the 40-foot road in Hatfield from mm. 4 to 9. Mm-hmm. Come on out. 15% of the sales will go to the Eagles Autism Foundation. There's going to be face painting balloon artists, and it's going to be a DJ. That's
0: a beautiful thing. You're going to be
4: there? I will be there. I will be there. So come on by. Come say hello. I'll be there. I'll be popping up the crowd. I'll be doing Eagles Chants, yep. and it's going to be great. Uh, I look
0: forward to seeing you at the next—well, e- when next he goes home is the— It's what? the 22nd the
4: against Jets. the Jets.
0: Uh, Miami, no, Miami, excuse yeah. me, Miami, it, and that's Kelly Green Day. It is. Yes. So it is. we're all going to have to get that. Ben, before you go, hold on one more time. The event is tomorrow. P.J. Willahan's in—where would you say it Hat,
4: was? Hatfield. Hatfield, right on 40-foot road.
0: Okay, and the time is— Four to nine. Four to nine. All right. So if you would, Ben, because I know you do it as well as anybody, you've done it at the pregame shows. Can you leave us with a good E-A-G-L-E-S?
4: E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles,
1: so Byers, be way.
0: You're the best. Thank you, Ben.
1: Thank
5: you.
0: Have a good one. There you go. I
1: think they heard that in Hatfield. That was, uh, that was amazing. That's a good spot. I've been to that, P.J. Wellahan's. Definitely get out there tomorrow if you can from 4 to 9. Nice, very nice. Good guy, that Ben. All right.
0: 215 592 uh, 94 94. We haven't taken a whole lot of calls. We opened the lines. You got something to say? We would love to talk to you in the next segment and see what's on your mind about the Eagles or the Phillies. A whole lot going on. I guess we should work in the other teams as well, huh?
1: You know, the Sixers had training camp this week and it kind of flew under the radar. Well, and there's narratives. Oh, there are definitely narratives. It's almost like. The national media is more interested in the Sixers and what happens with James Harden than people are locally because they're so fed up with him. Interesting. Well, we should work that in. And the flyer season opens. Hey,
0: so whatever you want to talk about, we are happy to talk to you. Uh, 215-592-9494. It is that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafting windows and doors before another long, cold winter season rolls in. And the great people at Guide Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you can save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven 877 go or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack. Now ninety-four WIP. All right, it is time when we check in with our doctor from Cooper Bone and join it. and It's our pal, Doctor David Gelt today, who is with us. How are you, Doc? Pretty good. How are you guys doing today? We're doing okay. Awesome, Doctor. We're How doing are you? All right. By the way, I got good my uh, I got my flu and my COVID vaccines yesterday, Doc. Good uh, for you. The, the, I got mine this week sometime. Left good shoulder's a little sore, but I'm doing okay. Doing all right. Good. Uh, he's he's plowing through yeah we're uh, working I can can push the buttons he he was probable for the show today yeah you know we make it work Um, however the guy who's having a rough time right now is Cam Juergens Uh, and this is one where I know we're going to ask you and it's going to be tough for you to answer because we don't have details which means that you don't have details but he's got a sprained foot and Mm. uh, he doesn't have a break they did the MRI they did no break but he's got a sprained foot he's a Big, three hundred pound guy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's assume this is a normal sprain. Again, I can't tell you what joint it is. Is there any kind of prognosis that you can make for this?
2: Yeah. So the the good thing is that you know they got all the studies. Everything was negative as far as any any fracture or break. Um, you know, the thing that you have to be concerned about with foot is like a Liz Frank injury, and I'm here about that, which is a good thing because that sometimes involves surgery or extended yeah. period of time. So. I think it may just, uh, you know, it could have tweaked it, uh, stretched out some of the ligaments that, you know, hold to some of the bones in the uh, to the metatarsal bones together. Um, you just have to heal similar to like an ankle sprain that you and I get sometimes and probably be sometimes in a boot if it's that uncomfortable, and then a hard sole shoe, and then move on from some rehab, and hopefully within a couple of weeks we'll be back, to, back on the line.
1: So in the Phillies Brave Series, doctor, and we had some good blister talk with Brian Anderson from Turner Sports <laughs> earlier, uh, Max Freed has been dealing with this thing for a while. Is there anything in the short term that a pitcher or a baseball organization can do to treat a blister so that a guy like Freed can pitch through it and actually pitch at the level that he's used to?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... I think I heard that you, you're not allowed to have a Band-Aid on when you play in the games for some reason. I don't know why about yeah, that. Yeah, that's correct. Well, that's right.
0: because you can sneak a thumbtack or yeah, whatever. I guess
2: that's right, yeah. So, I mean, I would think that, uh, you know, the goal would be eventually over this time period is if he gets some sort of callus or some, uh, some, you know, hardened skin there. Sometimes they put, like, some uh, skin glue. Like, if people have any sutures or stitches, you know, they just put it on top of that to harden that up a little bit just because it's just real friction. You know, it's as if you wore a bad shoe and you got a blister on your foot. You know, because he was throwing, uh, he just puts so much stress on one of those areas, and it's pretty sensitive and you know, it can affect him depending if it opens up, and then he can't grip the ball properly, so he can't pitch a certain pitch that he wants to. So you we'll know, see what happens. Well, we can hope. Yeah, yeah we can <laughs> hope. Yeah, exactly.
0: But, you know, in all of your years of medical study and residency and maybe fellowship and then all mm-hmm. your years practicing, how often does blister become a major issue in your orthopedics uh
2: um, it happens, it does happen really? sometimes, you know, there with, you uh, go. with, with, with runners, you know, we see that sometimes, uh, you know, and then, uh, obviously with some other throwers but it's, it's not as uncommon as you think. Oh,
1: well, there you go. See now, all right. So now we're going to shift to talk about, um, do you have any kind of treatment for James Harden and his hurt feelings? Oh, I'm, I
2: mean, I'm, I'm shocked that he's actually playing or he's, he's uh, we don't, he's know, we don't practicing. know that he's yet. Practicing. Well, he showed he, up, he came, he showed up. Yeah. So that's a, a positive, but we'll see, you know, you never know, maybe, uh, had something happened over the offseason. They are now friends again. See, this doc's an optimist.
1: He right. is. very you are, a, much are a pie
2: fool, in the sky, foolish, here,
0: cockeyed Don't optimist, know. is what
5: you
2: are, doc. All right, Billy Mumfrey. Anything else? <laughs> <on> your, <that's, laughs> anything else on your mind before we let you go? I was going to ask you guys uh, if you guys saw the uh, thing last week with the tour Story uh, of football. Did you watch that?
0: I did Isn't not. It-, I, it got good reviews. I know that. I, we, I didn't watch you, it. You did. did. What did you I, think I, of it?
2: So I saw it for a couple minutes. It was pretty cute. I think it's a great way to, you know, to get involved with the kids. You know, if they don't know about football, because they actually explained a little bit in, you know, in that type of way. Um, but I, I think if you know, if you wanted to watch a football game with your kids, and they didn't want to watch a real football game, it's something that was a, a you know, well, a,
1: yeah. I think the NFL obviously is trying to entice indoctrinate, get kids to watch football in an early, early age. But I wondered, Doc, how many. Kids actually are going to transition True. from that to watching actual football. The oh, reason I yeah. loved football, the reason I love football now, is because I watched football as a kid. Yeah, I didn't right. watch the the slimy Toy Story Nickelodeon I, stuff.
0: I, I think it's a great. Right. Way. I, it's, it's 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 introducing kids to baseball with the fanatic. I think it's mm. the same thing. You okay. get it, you yeah. get them in, you get them interested. They'll watch it. So yeah. yeah, there we go. Fair enough, Doc. Always a pleasure. Enjoy right, your guys. week and uh, root them on. All right, go Phillies. All right, there you go. Thanks, Doctor. Love the guy. Um. Yeah, I think I, I'm in favor of all that stuff. You know, I and I know people say it's a, it's a distraction. It's not a pure. Well, stuff. you don't have to watch
1: it. It's not the only telecast. Yeah, game, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they're going to do it with the Super Bowl this year. Nickelodeon is going to have a secondary telecast of the Super Bowl in that kid-friendly, so to speak, style.
0: Yeah, that's great. All right, you brought up James Harden. I did. Yeah, we got a couple minutes to kill here.
1: Yeah. What how's
0: this going to play out, Mike Sielski? <laughs> you project this for me. You're a smart man.
1: Uh, I still will be surprised if James Harden suits up for the Sixers. All right, let's explain what has happened. All right, so, so the Sixers had media day last Monday where they came into their headquarters in Camden, and everybody got up and talked for a couple of minutes, Daryl Morey, Nick Nurse, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, all of that. They then immediately departed to Fort Collins, Colorado for training camp because Nurse is a big believer that practicing at that altitude will help the team down the road conditioning-wise and all of that stuff. So Wednesday, James Harden arrives at training camp, and this was the thing that I don't even think the Sixers were sure of whether— this was going to happen. They didn't know whether Harden was going to show up. And Nurse had spoken openly about, look, I have a plan A for the team if James Harden is there, and I have a plan B for the team if he's not, which is really a difficult position yeah. for a coach yeah, to be in.
0: Yeah, welcome to town, Nick Nurse. Good exactly. luck. Yeah.
1: So Harden showed up Wednesday. He apparently has been working out with the team, but there's no guarantee that he's going to be part of the blue and white scrimmage or blue white, red, white, and blue scrimmage that they're going to have later this week or whether he's actually going to suit up for any preseason yeah, games? Yeah, they got or a preseason season. against the Celtics coming yeah. up. Yeah, so he still wants to be traded, and Here's there are still I think. all these rumors about him going to the Clippers. What do you think?
0: Uh, remember when uh, James Harden fat suit showed up? Oh when, yeah, was that New Jersey or was that Houston? That was I forget. Houston. Okay, I think. Houston. Okay. I, I think and in New Jersey he had another strategy I forget what it was that helped get him out of there I don't remember Brooklyn what it he was. Ju- Brooklyn he just I think he did the, said- since you're doing Seinfeld references he did the George Costanza and drove around the parking lot with the trophies behind his car yeah right something <laughs> exactly he did something um, I think he's going to try to find a way to upset and annoy and be a distraction and be a problem. Force aiming to force the Sixers' hands, at which point I don't know if they send him home. One thing we learned about Daryl Morey is he's not going to be bullied into a trade. Nope. I'm. Listen, I'm. Don't take this as I'm a big Daryl Morey fan. I think they had a terrible off season, but we saw with uh, Ben Simmons that like he'll wait it out.
1: You get in a staring contest with Daryl Morey, you're going to lose.
0: Right. He can stare blindly for <laughs> hours and days and months. That he's good at. He's yeah. good at inaction when it needs to be. But I think Harden's going to really try to force the issue, and it's going to get really uncut. To to use the word I used to use, but now is misconstrued here, it's going to get really hinky around
1: here. So here's the thing, though, Glenn. Logically speaking, if you're James Harden and you want to be traded, the best possible thing you could do would be to show up in shape, play hard, make it clear you don't want to be here, and allow Daryl Morey the freedom and the opportunity to get something back of value for you.
0: Yeah, that would be a normal person's way to do it. Right, but right. James
1: Harden still thinks he's the same player yeah. who was averaging 36 points a game at yes, the Rockets. Yes, the
0: world should kowtow to his de- desires and demands.
1: Right, so yeah. he's not going to do that, and no. it's going to be harder for the Sixers to make the deal that he wants because he's not playing, and there's only one team that's expressed any interest in having him on the team. So... I think it's going to get really ugly. I think ugliness and hinkiness are on the horizon yeah, for this it's team. it's
0: going to be. Uh, in other Sixers news, uh, I I like this. Just curious, your your thought. Joel Embiid says he's going to play for Team USA, team USA. in the Olympics. Yeah, his son A native
1: is, of Cameroon. He says, you know, my son is an American citizen, uh, and I've lived here long enough that I want to play for Team USA, and I think that's great. I am already lobbying my bosses at the Inquirer to go cover the Olympics next year because it is in— Paris, and there are worse places to be uh, like than this. Paris. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's that's nothing but a good thing. I'm still skeptical about Embiid insofar as, and I wrote this this week. I I want to see that he is taking the next step as a mega superstar in this sport, and we really haven't seen that in the postseason. We haven't seen. No him be a better player in the postseason than he has been in the regular season. And that's where true elite stardom is. He's a great, great player, don't get me wrong. But he didn't he hasn't done what Nikola Jokic did in the postseason last year. Yeah. Or Jimmy Butler does. Has carried year. a
0: team through a couple of rounds yeah. of the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, last thing is the Flyers season opens this week, and I know there's been so little attention to the Flyers. They've been bad over the last few years. They do not draw crowds anymore. There's really nobody on the team. It's like, oh man, I can't wait to see this guy. Right. But it is a new administration. Well, it's the same coach, John Tortorella, but it's a new president Mm -hmm. in Jonesy. It's a new general manager in Danny Breer. It's a new uh, head of operations. um, Dan Hilferty. Dan Hilferty. And my own own sense of it, or my own approach to it is, the Flyers get a fresh start from me. It's a reset. I appreciate it's going to be a while before they get good. Mm -hmm. But it's like- I feel like I can at least support them without feeling like a jerk now.
1: Yeah, I think fans are optimistic that things will be different. I think they were yearning for a fresh start for a change like this. And I'll just throw this out there to the Flyers fans we have listening. If you are looking ahead and want to think about what the team might look like and how, much improve, how improved it might be a year, two years, three years from now, Matvey Michkov, the player who the Flyers took with the seventh overall pick this year, Russian kid who's only 18, already has 11 points, including five goals, in nine games in the Continental Hockey League, as an 18-year-old. Yeah, I know.
0: Just saying. I but that's such patience. I
1: know. Just we're, saying. We're not seeing him this year. No, this is going to be this know. is going to be like waiting for Joel Embiid to stop drinking Shirley Temples and get into shape to play for the Sixers. Yeah. Well, yeah.
3: More importantly, did you see the video he posted this week? No. Mitch Kauf, no. Yeah. He was on a basketball court and made a shot backwards. Really? Yeah, if you want to get excited. So he could play in one skates? night
1: for the Sixers and one night for the Flyers
3: He's in better, 2026. Better at shooting backwards than the Sixers. Two number one picks were at shooting forwards.
0: <laughs> Man. Yeah, well, it is something, but it is down the road. It is down the road. But anyway, fresh start for that team. So that's kind of exciting. 215-592-9494. We will be joined this hour by our pal Ray Dinger. Back from Europe, tan-tested and ready to go. Uh (laughs) We're coming out with
1: all the 60s and 70s references That's exactly right.
0: 215-592-9494. Mike Silsky, Glenn Mack now. Hey, I had a chance this week to catch up with my friends from Meridian Bank, uh, along with one of their business banking customers. Over the years, I've met a lot of business owners they work with, and every time I'm just blown away at how highly these people speak of Meridian Bank and their ongoing relationship. Knowing the people at Meridian as I do, well, it's no surprise. They are the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself is entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas. They know how to understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. Well, that, of course, was a huge play in the game last week and a bit of a controversial one. And uh, with Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack. Now, look what we found wandering around
1: the hall. You know, we just happened to step out of the studio and he was there.
0: Our pal Ray Dinger, <laughs> back from uh, an amazing trip. To, how was your trip to Italy, Ray?
7: It was wonderful, like most trips to Italy are. It's a beautiful country, wonderful people, great food. It was great. And All right, so here's the thing. We had, we had thing. terrific weather. It, was, it could not have been a better two weeks.
0: So you and your lovely wife, Maria, went on a uh, with a small group of people on a trip led by two world-class chefs out of Philadelphia.
1: It sounds awful. And I know <laughs> that
0: your wife, Maria, a, a foodie, a former food writer, a wine connoisseur. Right. I mean, she had to
7: be just in her element.
0: She was. And I know Ray Dinger's a guy who's like, yeah, I'll have a
7: burger and uh, nothing to drink for me. Oh, no, I like good food, okay. I, and I love Italian food, okay. and it doesn't get any better than what there we you. experienced. There you go. Uh, but, the two, but you're right. We were traveling with two chefs, Jeff Michaud, uh, who's the chef and the owner of uh, Osteria, which is a wonderful restaurant on North Broad Street, and uh, Greg Vernick, who's oh, the gosh, owner yeah. and proprietor oh, yeah. of Vernick and Vernick Fish. And mm-hmm. uh, So to travel with those two guys and have them walk you through all the all the little villages of Italy and, and to all these people who own little mom and pop restaurants and cook just for us could not have been better.
0: Well, we appreciate that you're going to spend the next hour with us. We're going to talk about some other things that we've got upcoming, but we just played coming into this. Uh, you were back last Sunday for the game, correct? I was. Yes. Okay. So yes. you saw that this last game. I was mm-hmm. going to
1: say just Ray mentioned before we came on the air, vacationing in September is such a foreign idea to somebody who covers the NFL that, you know, yeah, right. It had to feel kind of strange to be abroad for two weeks and missing all of this.
7: <laughs> it felt strange, but it felt wonderful.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, I know Maria planned it that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, sure. I know her getting you away from football was.
7: Well, these, these trips, she had done several of them before because she had the ability to travel in September. You know, so she would go on her own. And she said, you know, when you finally retire, if indeed you ever retire, uh, you have to take one of these trips with me. So I did, and she was right. It was yeah, great. That's great.
0: That's Okay, so you were back. We just played one play, and this play was the, uh, the a lot of discussion off of this play this week. It is when the Eagles get the ball, a tie game, a couple minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I had, I don't see exactly how much time was left, but they had the opportunity to. 143. Yep. Okay. One, okay. Let's wind down the clock and let Jake Elliott hit that game-winning field goal. And they threw a nice, quick, easy touchdown pass to he's always going to catch it, he's always open, A.J. Brown. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the wrong call. I can't really criticize a coach for getting a touchdown, but I thought might have been better to go the other way. There's been debate about that this week. Where are you on this?
7: Uh, I thought the same thing. I thought, you know, run the clock down, let Elliott kick the field goal, don't give him the ball back. That's, You know, I mean, you were having, the Eagles defense was having problems. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know Sam Howell is not to be confused with Sammy Baugh, but I mean on this particular day, well, was. <laughs> on this particular day, he was lighting you up. So if I had the opportunity to be in this position they were in, which was second and four at Washington's twenty-eight, with the clock running and just under two minutes to go, I'm I'm running it out, and Elliott's kicking the field goal, and and that's it. I mean I. It's hard to criticize a coach for scoring a touchdown. I understand that part of it. But I think you have to play to the situation, and I think the situation there called for just run it down to the last play, let him kick the field goal, and don't give Washington the ball back. That that was what I was thinking at the time. Is there
1: a way for NFL teams and NFL coaching staffs, Ray, to have somebody in the head coach's ear at all times kind of doing that math, and it's not all math, right? Like, Glenn made the point that the Eagles' defense was not playing well against the pass that day, and Sam How- Sam Howell is not an accomplished quarterback, but he's picking you apart and running for first downs all day. Is there someone in Nick Sirianni's ear or in Brian Johnson's ear saying, hey, guys, we would normally want to score a touchdown here, but we don't? This is... Or is that just fall on Sirianni to be able to say, hey, i got to be able to read the moment and say
7: it's better to run out the clock? It depends on staff to staff. I mean, um, to have one coach who's – listen, there have been occasions in the NFL where there is one coach who's on the staff whose sole responsibility on game day is game management questions. How many timeouts do we have? Where's the clock? Hey, I think we should challenge that. No, don't challenge that. To make those kinds of suggestions to the coach. I don't know how the – I don't think that any of the Eagles assistant coaches function in that way. I don't think
1: they do either, yeah. But
7: you've got – but you've got – certainly got enough of them there on the <laughs> sidelines and upstairs that somebody could have certainly said – I mean, they hear the conversation of the coaches of what plays are being discussed, and somebody now has made the call to throw the ball into the end zone and go for the touchdown. It's – I mean, it's there for somebody of one of those coaches to say, hey, fellas, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Let's rethink this now. Why don't we, wouldn't we just run the clock down and let Jake kick the field goal? Anybody could have said it, but I don't know there's anyone who has that sole responsibility of saying it.
0: I have uh, one other coaching question to ask you, and then we'll get on to other issues about the Eagles in the game. We'll talk some Phillies with you, and it's the other team. It was Ron Rivera. At the end of the game, he scores a touchdown with no time to go. He's down one point. He has the opportunity to go for two and end the game right there. He didn't, he went to overtime. Right. Mistake.
7: I was very surprised, you know, because I mean, he is "quote unquote" Riverboat Ron. I mean, that was kind of how <laughs> what, he. What, what did you call him? Mike? Paddleboat Ron. Yeah, right. Now he is. Yeah, I mean, now I he I, is. I
1: couldn't believe that they didn't go for two to try to win the game. Right. You have nothing to lose. Right. You're playing the defending NFC champions on their home turf. You have a chance to win the game right there. Take it. Take it. Absolutely right. I was
7: shocked. I was absolutely. When he they- said
0: his offense was tired, and I'm thinking. Yeah. Did you see the
7: defense? Right. Exactly. And, you know, if you, okay, you're going to overtime. Are they all of a sudden going to get fresh in overtime? Yeah, right. I mean, t- t- take your shot. You got one shot right here. Go w- try and win it right now. Mm. Uh, I was very surprised when he opted to kick, kick the PAT. I think it was a mistake. And, pr- and that's an easy, easy second guess now. But at the time, I was thinking that if I'm him, the Eagles were on their heels at that point. And Washington was hot. The quarterback was hot. That was your best chance to win. It was right there, I felt. I was surprised he didn't choose no. to do that. I, I, Fortunately,
0: he didn't.
1: I, yeah. And to me, Ray, and I know this is going to sound strong, that is part of the reason or an indication of why that organization has been as bad for as long as it has. That's a loser's way of thinking, to me. You have a shot to take out the top team in your division, the top team in the conference, and you don't take it. Sorry that's a reason you are the Washington Commanders.
7: I think. Yep. And you saw what happened the other night. I mean, they they, yeah. they could not have played worse Oof. the other night. They yeah. were terrible. Yeah, they're bad. They they
0: are bad. Um, all right, so let's take a look at the Eagles after uh, four games. I know you haven't seen it all. You were out munching on, uh, you
1: know. <laughs> it, he, was, he was having Carpaccio. Right, somewhere who, on, who on who the Adriatic
0: Sea else. or whatever yeah. wherever you were. But nonetheless, they are 4-0, but they are – uh, a less impressive 4-0 than last year there certainly have been questions and yet i'll say it one more
7: time they're undefeated correct where
0: do you see them right now
7: um, <clears throat> well i think jason kelsey said it very well after the immediately after the washington game when he said hey you know it's great to be 4-0 but we got a lot to clean up and he's you know as usual he was right on i mean they do i mean yep they're 4-0 there's only two 4-0 teams out there that's great they're in a great position um but there's a lot of stuff they, they there's a lot of stuff they have to do better, to get back to the Super Bowl they're going to have to play better than they're playing right now. That's that's for sure. They're going to have to play better tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, where, where I, do I don't do think see... this game is a layup by any means. Nope. Where do you see the issues? Secondary. Yeah, I mean you're a little short-handed, and uh, the guys you got back there aren't playing all that well, uh, and you're going up against a team that throws the ball more than any team in football. Uh, Stafford's thrown the most passes. He's averaging over 40 a game. Guarantee he's going to throw 45 tomorrow, yeah. uh, after, especially after watching that tape. And so that's part of it. They're getting their best receiver back from injury, which will certainly help. Uh, and the other part of it is Sean McVay, who I know some of the luster has come off Sean McVay in the last couple of years, but I still think in terms of game planning uh, and designing an offense, specifically a passing game, I still think he's one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, and he uses a lot of stuff. He uses a lot of motion. He uses a lot of formation changes. He throws a lot of stuff at you even before the snap. And what I saw with the Eagles secondary last week was they looked very confused. I mean, mm-hmm. there, was a, there were a lot of breakdowns. There was a lot of bad communication. You got a lot of new guys back there that aren't quite sure what they're doing. Uh, and I'm sure that McVay has been studying that all week. And he's going to come into tomorrow's game armed with a whole bunch of stuff that he's going to be able to throw at the Eagles. It's going to add, make them make adjustments and shifts on the fly. And the Eagles are going to have to be at the top of their game and certainly better than they were against Washington if they're hoping to, to come out of there with a win. What's
1: interesting to me about the Rams, Ray, is the way they go about uh, building a roster from year to year. Because in some years, they really don't build a roster, right? Around here, we've gotten accustomed to Howie Roseman, being able to sustain a certain measure of competence and even excellence, right? Like, there's there's constant turnover, but you have this core of guys, the Kelseys, the Brandon Grahams. You, you, you try to get a quarterback like a Hurts who's going to be here for a while. That's what the Eagles are shooting for. The Rams go all in once every couple of years, spend a lot of money, trade for guys, sign guys, and then kind of live with the aftermath of that. But – They have a few guys who are incredible players at their respective positions. They are so top-heavy roster-wise. And then they take the chance that Les Snead, their general manager, is going to hit on lower-round picks. They haven't had a first-round pick since they took Jared Goff in 2016. That's amazing. That's incredible when you think about it. And yet here they are. They're at 2-2. They have Aaron Donald, who's the best defensive tackle in the league. They have Cooper Cup, who, as you said, is coming back arguably the best wide receiver in the league, and they have Matthew Stafford, who is among the best quarterbacks in the league. I'm curious your view on how they do this and whether to be quite frankly, it works or not.
7: yeah, well, I knew what they did a couple years ago um you know the team had moved back to los angeles they're building they're moving into this new stadium um and I've always contended, and I will always contend, Los Angeles is not a great football team. No, it's, it's not. just not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they felt like th- that they needed to make a big splash. Yeah. they felt like they needed to build a market for their football team in a city where there really was no market. So they went all in to win that one Super Bowl. Yep. And um, you know, I mean, they they maxed out the, they maxed out every credit card they had, <laughs> uh, and they went and they won it. You know, but then there's a price you have to pay after that. But I understood what they were doing. They made, a, they made a purely financial and marketing decision that paid off for them. But then now the coach has to live with that for the next couple of years, which is kind right. of where they are right now.
1: Right. And to your point about McVeigh losing his luster, I'm not entirely sure that's fair to McVeigh because of what we just said. The roster gets hollowed out when all those veterans who they spent all this money and all these resources to acquire aren't there anymore. And so the offensive line isn't as great. The defense isn't as great. And if Matthew Stafford gets hurt, you're going to end up 5-12 and 12 like they did last season.
7: Yeah, and you hope that you uh, hit on, as you said, low-round free agents. And they did with the kid from BYU. Phew. Who, uh, you know, I, I, I wish I could tell you that I had uh, Puka Nokawa. <laughs> As on my was well, it one of <laughs> your sleepers? Well, he was not one of my sleepers. Ah, sounds um, perfect for your sleepers. I, I wish, I wish I could sit here and claim that he was one of my sleepers, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Glenn. He wasn't anybody's sleeper. He wasn't on. Where'd they get him? Rating. Free agent? Uh, yeah, he was an undrafted yeah, free agent. Yeah, uh, from BYU. Yeah, uh, and didn't have, you know, didn't have a particularly great college career. Uh, fifth you know, round, just fifth round pick. average, fifth round pick. Yeah, fifth round pick. You know, and I mean, in every, you know, four, five, five, forty. You know, six um, one. I mean, nothing's nothing about him stood out. I mean, he was your classic undrafted free agent who comes into a training camp, plays in a couple of preseason games, and gets a shirt and takes it home and says he played in the NFL. I mean, that's kind of what you're expecting. But because of Cooper Cup's injury, he got a chance to play. Uh, and at this point, four games into the season, he's the leading receiver in the NFL. Unbelievable.
0: I know. And now they get, as you say, now they get Cooper cup back, which can help them, uh, real quickly. What's your take
7: on Jalen hurts through four games? Um, I think you're seeing him last week was certainly his best game. He's gotten better. I I didn't, I wasn't here to see the Tampa Bay game, but I went back and watched it again. Um, better in that game and then better again last week. Um, I think that what's happened this year is the teams have defenses around the league have kind of developed a a plan of how they're going to play the Eagles that they didn't have last year. They had the whole offseason to study what they do, uh, and you really saw it week one with uh, with the Patriots, who weren't a great team, but defensively they gave the Eagles a lot of problems, um, changing up a lot of coverages, playing an awful lot of zone, doing a lot of things that they hadn't seen before. And the Eagles, frankly, looked confused and off stride in that game. You're going to see that a lot week to week here as teams have kind of adjusted to what the Eagles are doing. And, you know, one of the things that I don't know if you guys have talked about it, but I've heard some conversation about it is, you know, Jalen Hurts isn't running the way nope. he did before. No, that's a, that's the biggest difference, I that's, think. Yeah. That's a big difference. He's not running as much, and he's not running he's not running the way he ran last year. You know, he's running kind of like a quarterback runs now to get what's there and go down. He's not running with the same sort of – Uh, speed and recklessness as he did a year ago I understand you want to get him through the season healthy but they're kind of adjusting to the new normal for this team right now and okay they're winning as they're doing it but they're still trying to uh, offensively and defensively really trying to find their way you know it's interesting Ray Donovan McNabb went through exactly the same thing
1: in about 2003 2004 where he was not running as frequently or with as much abandon as he had in 2000 2001 Carson Wentz, in contrast, like, never made that adjustment, right? Like, played that way full bore all the time to the point where he got beat up and all the other stuff happened to him. But I wonder if that's at play with Hurts now, too. You know, you've given him all the money, and the Eagles want their investment to be on the field, and I think Jalen Hurts wants to be on the field. My my curiosity comes later in the season in the playoffs. Like, does he then – start to run more if it's there? Because it seems now I'm seeing what you're seeing, which is he's hitting the ground and not
7: turning up field in the way that he right. often did last season. Right. Yeah. Um, that could probably happen. But I think the I think the think what has to happen or what they're trying to achieve before that is that he gets to the postseason healthier than he has gotten to the postseason mm-hmm. each of the last two years. I mean, clearly he was really hurt two years ago before the Tampa game. It mm-hmm. really hurt. Uh, And then last year he was hurting. I mean, he took to the point where he missed two games in December uh, and there was concern about his shoulder all through the postseason. You know, if they're going to try and get back to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, they want to have their quarterback as healthy as he can possibly be. Um, And at the end of the year, if he has to make a tough run to get you a key first down (laughs) in the situation, probably will. (laughs) But I think at this point in the season, they're going to try and avoid that as much as possible.
0: All right. Coming up, Ray, I I need to ask you an ethical question. I have an ethical dilemma in terms of who I have to root for in a game this weekend, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm thinking you might be able to help me with this ethical dilemma.
7: Okay, all
0: right. By the way, Ray and I are going to be together in November on November 7th. This is going to be a lot of fun. You and I have done our sports movie programs before. Uh, well, you should tell people what they are because you're good at explaining this.
7: Uh, it's very simple. It's sort of a uh, an in-person take on the book that you and I did a few years ago called The Ultimate Book of Sports Movies, where we we spend a night where we show some highlights and classic scenes from iconic sports movies, uh, and then we talk about the film, we talk about the making of the film, how the film was cast, how it was shot, little behind-the-scenes stuff that we've learned in our research, um, and it goes everywhere from, you know, the Hoosiers to Rocky to a few new movies that we're going to work into this production. We've uh, we've done the show before, but we're going to put a few new films in there just to freshen it up a little bit. And um, it's always a fun night. if The films are great, and the conversation is great as well.
0: It's always a lot of fun.
7: By the way, do you know that
0: it almost wasn't Gene Hackman in Hoosiers, Mike? Do you know who almost the coach
1: was? I've heard this, and I can't remember. Jack Nicholson.
0: Imagine how different that movie would have been. I love you guys. There you go. Team. Ray and I will (laughs) be doing our sports movie night. This is Tuesday, November 7th at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore, the old Swarthmore Players Club. Uh, Tuesday, November 2nd. Tickets are going fast. So get yours now at PCSTheater.org. That's PCSTheater.org. Make sure you get there. 215-592-9494 if you want to talk to Mike and Ray and myself. I'm Glenn Macnow. Hey, it's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another cold, long winter season rolls in, and the great people at Guided Door and Window, well, they're going to help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down. Interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn and We're joined by Ray Dinger for this hour. We are now under six hours away from Game 1, Phillies against the Braves. That should be darned exciting in Robert in Germantown. Wants to check in with an opinion on that one. Hello, Robert.
4: Hey, Ray. All you guys, uh, great show! Thank you. Um, Thanks. Strategic question for you: There's runners ahead of this guy Acuna, who some people think probably mispronounced his name, shouldn't we be thinking about intentionally walking him as much as possible? He's such a dangerous hitter. What do you think? I've seen that in the playoffs. The playoffs. Um,
1: here's the problem with that, Robert: twofold. Number one, Acuna stole seventy four, seventy three bases this season, so I'm not sure you want to put him on base as a general principle, and secondly, I don't want to put anybody on base with this Atlanta lineup. I mean, if you're walking Ronald Acuna, then you're putting him on base for Matt Olson, who hit 54 home runs, or Marcel Ozuna, who, Ozuna, who hit 40, or Austin Riley, who hit 37, Jesus, or Ozzy Albies, who hit 33. So yeah. I don't want to put anybody on base intentionally if I don't have to.
4: But what's, uh, what's his uh, statistics with the runners on base Acuna, compared to the other guys? Just curious. Does anybody
1: know? No,
0: I don't know. But are you, you're talking about putting him on base deliberately. Now you're talking about how he hits with somebody out in front of him? Yeah. I don't know. They they all hit. See, here's the problem. And, and thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. They all hit, Ray. Yep.
7: There's no there's no shortcut I'm, I'm, through there's uh, no, there's no shortcut through this lineup you've got you got you got to pitch them you got to make good pitches and you got to find ways to get them out they're um i mean they had they had a 501 team yeah. slugging percentage yeah never been done never been done i mean the 27 yankees yeah. were 488 yes <laughs> i mean so this is the hit in this lineup baseball has ever seen uh and so yeah, I mean, you just gotta hope that your pitchers make good pitches and get them out. Putting more guys on base isn't the answer. I don't think. No,
0: especially as Mike says, the guy who steals seventy bases a year. So you put him on, and it's At like first, okay, he's, you're, he's right. going to be standing
7: on second. It's going
0: day. to be a ghost inning every year, every uh, inning. Yeah, the yeah, ghost he, runner inning. Yeah, which I know you're so fond of. I'm very fond of that. <laughs> All right. I got an ethical question, Ray, and you're the guy I gotta come
1: to. Okay. All right. because you know I have no ethics.
0: Yeah, I'm not coming. to you. <laughs> okay. All right. After I watch the Phillies beat the Braves tonight. And then I watch the Eagles beat the Rams tomorrow. I'm going to be settling down tomorrow night looking for the perfect ending to a perfect weekend as I watch Sunday night football, the Cowboys against the Niners. Now, this is not as easy as it would normally seem where I can just root against the Cowboys freely and laugh at their ineptitude in the red zone. Because the Niners, other than the Eagles, that's the only other 4-0 team. And the Niners look like they may be having a season here. And right. so if it comes down to the NFC Championship game, I want the Eagles to have a better record. On the other hand, it's the stinking Cowboys, and they're in the division, and the Eagles don't always play well against the Cowboys. So you got to win the division first before you can worry about the other stuff. So Ray, as a man of moral turpitude, and tremendous intellect and wisdom i come to you i turn my lonely eyes to you
7: mm-hmm. what the hell am i supposed to root for i think as hard as it's going to be for you to do i think you should root for the cowboys no that's
0: <laughs> what I, mike said
7: well i i think see i and i know you're probably incapable oh, of yeah. it and oh. i suspect most eagles fans are probably incapable of it it's just it just isn't something you if you're from this town it's just something not something you do is that you sit there and you root for the Cowboys? I mean, but I think looking down the road from a strategic standpoint, yeah, I think it's probably you're probably better, is to is because you want obviously you want to get home field advantage in the postseason. I mean, that's huge. There's no question about that. And how many other games? Like the Cowboys are the Cowboys. They're going to be up and down this year. They're going to lose a couple of games they shouldn't lose. They'll have another Arizona game come along somewhere. The 49ers are really good. You got to beat them when you can beat them, and I. I think this is a chance to to stick them with a loss. You know, the 49ers, if they don't lose this game, you know, I mean, they might be fifteen and two. Oh gosh. So, I mean, I think they're I think they're really that good. So, if you got a chance to knock them off, I think you got to knock them off because I think the Cowboys are always going to be the Cowboys. They're going to be up. They're going to be down. They're going to lose a couple bad games. They're going to get their losses. With the 49ers, you got to get them when you can. I'm just glad that Ray provided evidence that I'm as intelligent
1: and morally righteous as he is. <laughs>
0: that's, that's, hey, all that,
1: all those compliments I had
0: to him, just because you're on the same side. Don't think they all travel to you. I get it. Uh, I'm going to separate just the emotion of it for a moment, which is not easy for uh, how, me. How are
7: you, gonna, how are you well, just, of all people, going to yeah, do that? Oh, okay,
0: okay. Uh, we've been around each other a long time. You know how I feel about this. But. The Eagles have to beat the Cowboys to win the division. Also, right. The Eagles don't always beat the
1: Cowboys. Right. So I, you're scared of the Cowboys?
0: Not scared is not a word. I don't, I don't get a dog. I don't. I don't play the scared. But realistically, I know that the Cowboys have a chance to beat the Eagles. I'd like to see the Cowboys lose. Yeah. All right. I. I,
7: hear I right. mean, there's something to be said for that. I mean, the Cowboys have a very tough finish to their season. I mean, their final three games. Yeah. Their their final three games are, are really tough games. They have it well, not the last game they play the Commanders. That's forget it's that. It's looking easier every but, day. But their December they have to play the Eagles, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Lions. Those those are their four December games. Two of them on the road, so they're gonna they're not going to win all of those games. So, but I think you got to look at the 49ers as a team that they could put together a real run here. So if you can knock them off now, I think you're better off knocking them off now. Even with Brock Purdy, what's your
1: take on? His value to the 49ers. I've heard it speculated, Ray, and I'd be curious your take on this, that what Mike Shanahan used to do with zone blocking and running backs, his son Kyle is doing for quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Kind of a plug-and-play sort of thing, that the system is so good that as long as you have a guy like Purdy who, to his credit, does not screw up, right, doesn't put the ball where it shouldn't be put,
7: that you can win with pretty much anybody. Your thoughts? I think that's probably overstating it a little bit. But I was just at a charity event with Dick Vermeil the other night, and we were talking about the season to this point. And he went on and on about what a good coach he thinks Kyle Shanahan is and how well he can design an offense and with what he's done out in San Francisco. Um, I actually was kind of a Purdy fan coming out of college. Glenn and I talked about that last year. I liked him more than most people. I mean, it became kind of a joke that he was the last guy taken. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is I think his credentials, he should have been drafted higher. Um, I think he's not a fluke I think he's not an illusion. I think he's pretty good. I'm not saying he's an all time great he has certain limitations in terms of arm strength, but in that offense with the people they have around him and a coach pushing the buttons the way he is they're very effective you know i don't i don't ex- i don't look for him to be, everybody's sort of saying, when's he going to wake up and realize where he is? And all of a sudden, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's capable of sustaining this level of play as long as they can keep that team around him.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting case study in where a quarterback ends up and how much that can affect his performance, right? If you get with the right coach and you get in the right system with the right pieces around you and it makes you think about how many quarterbacks never got that opportunity and
7: how their careers might have turned out differently. If sure. They had. Sure. Yeah. You look at all the first round, high first round draft pick quarterbacks that were written off as busts because they went to hapless teams with hapless coaches. Right. And so they never really had a chance.
0: Yep. All right. Let me see. i a call here. Warren in Gwinnett Valley wants to talk about the Eagles game plan tomorrow. What do you think, Warren?
7: Um,
5: well, thank you for taking my call, Glenn, Mike, Ray. Great to talk with you. Hi, Thanks. Warren. How are you doing? Um, for, for me, um, the Eagles, uh, it's going to be the Eagles' offense to stay on the field and the, the Rams' offense to stay off the field as much as possible um, because obviously our defense is weak and, uh, and their offense is strong. So it's going to have to be you know, our, our defensive front line and being able to get to uh, Matthew Stafford when they're on the field um, so he doesn't have the time to pick us apart in the secondary and well, so this offense, this
0: raises this raises a debate. So you finish up, and then I'll say it. I, I know. Uh, yeah,
5: and then as far as the offense goes, that they're, they're going to have to eat up a lot of clock where they can mix in, you know, running and passing, and they're, they're going to have to get the running game established so that they can keep, you know, the Rams you know, off balance. And I'm hoping they can mix in some good play action to really confuse them, which seems to be some of the Eagles' problems. That, you know, if you're going to just hand the ball to the running back and they see it coming. You're not going to get a running game established. So I want to hear what what you guys. Yeah. Have to so say. this is
0: the question of: Is it going to be a shootout where mm-hmm. first team to forty is going to win, or is it going to be? And Ray, I know you've been very happy about what you've seen in terms of the running game in the first few games. Right. Is it going to be? You know what? We're going to hold the ball for thirty-five minutes and Swift and Gainwell, or hey, maybe even throw Penny in there for a play or two, and we're going to run the ball and slow it down and win.
7: I've. Well, you know me. I mean I that's sort of my that's sort of my that's formula. Way, yeah. That's sort of my formula most weeks. That's the formula. Uh, that's sort of my formula most weeks, but I think this but. week but I think this week more than most because for two reasons. I think what Warren is saying is true. I think you don't want you don't want the Rams to have the ball for thirty eight minutes. I mean the way that they Absolutely throw it, not. the way that they can execute. So you want to try and keep them off the field. But the other part of it is the Rams run defense is not very good. I mean if you'd watch the Rams for the first four games. I know they've got Aaron Donald, who's a great player on their defensive line, but other than that, they don't play the run very well. Teams have, if teams have wanted to run on them. They've been able to run on them. And so that's I kind of think that that's what the Eagles should do here. I mean, they, they've they got the offensive line. They've got a good, deep backfield. I think they can run successfully and then run the passing game off play action against the Rams. I think, to me, that's the formula.
1: I'm yeah. curious. I would be surprised to see them do that. I would. Mm-hmm. Only because, not not to say that, Anything you said is inaccurate. I just – the fact that Jalen Hurts got off to such a slow start, relatively so, slow start this season, I think the Eagles as an organization want to see him get back to being the guy he was last year or as close to it as possible. And the fact that he played his best game of the season against Washington will have them saying, all right, let's keep this momentum rolling with Hurts and throwing the ball. I think it's part of the reason that they threw the ball deep to A.J. Brown late against Washington, is that they are a team that wants to score. It is what they believe in. And while you're right strategically, Ray, 100%, they can run the ball on anybody, and the Rams' run defense is not very good, and they should be able to run the ball against them, I think the shootout that Glenn is thinking about is more likely to materialize where it's Stafford and Hurts back and forth, back and
7: forth. Yeah, I think that's – I know as an organization their philosophy is that. And they feel like that Hertz took a big step forward last week, and they want to kind of build on that. I understand all that. I've always been of the opinion that that the NFL is a week to week proposition, and you have to play the opponent that's on the field with you and attack them the best way to attack them. I think that's it. And I, you know, I think you can accomplish both. I think you can run the ball, control the clock, get the get the running game really going, and let Hertz work off of that and be a play action quarterback and hit some big plays in the passing game. You can do both, but. That's the way I would do it, but, Mike, what you said makes perfect sense. They could come out throwing it, and if they do, guess what? The over-under at 50, it's going over. Great. Do you know what I hold in my hand here? It looks vaguely
0: familiar. It looks
7: like the uh, folded piece of
0: paper. When we get back, we're going to each give our scores, and just so you know, this one right here,
7: that's the exact final score.
0: You always say that. Yeah. And I've occasionally been right. And when I'm (laughs) wrong, you guys forget. Anyway, we'll give our scores coming up. We'll find out from our producer, Ben Kenny what we forgot to talk about. Ray Dinger, Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. California to uh, columnize about the game tomorrow. I I am here on pregame starting at one with countdown to kickoff. Ross Tucker comes in for that show, but I hold in my hand. Ray, this will be nostalgic for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Piece of paper, and on this piece of paper is the exact final score
1: of the next game that we'll be watching. All right, so before I open the folded piece of paper, let me give my prediction, which is that I haven't seen enough from the Eagles' defense so far this season, their pass defense in particular, to feel confident that they're going to be able to limit or shut down the Rams' passing game. I think the fact that Cooper Cup is back, is not good for the Eagles. I think the fact that Matthew Stafford is the best and most accomplished quarterback that they will have faced this season does not bode well for the Eagles. I think it's going to be hard for this defense well, to get off the field. I
0: don't like where this is going, Ray. I,
1: unfortunately for Eagles fans, think that the Rams are going to win this game, thirty-one to twenty-eight.
0: <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> good okay, job, Ben. All
1: right, hey. Does I, Ray
7: want to give his prediction, or did you want to go? You want to go next, Ray? Uh, sure. Um, I kind of I. I I, too, think it's going to be a very tough game for the Eagles. Um, I think there is a way for them to win it. Um, After watching the tape of the Rams this week, their offensive line is not very good. I mean, Matthew Stafford was getting hit constantly in the last game. So I think the Eagles can get pressure on him. He's thrown five interceptions, so he can make mistakes. If the Eagles are going to win this game, they're going to win it up front. They're going to have to win it with their defensive line. They're certainly not going to win it with their secondary. Um, I think it's going to be as Mike you were saying. You think it's going to evolve into a shootout? I think it will, um, but I think the Eagles are going to find a way to win. So I'm saying I think the Eagles are going to win, and I'm I'm saying 30 to 24. 30 to 24. All right, and I think the
0: game I'm going to be watching the score is going to be Phillies five to three. Oh, that's tonight's <laughs> game. Sorry, that's tonight's game. Wrong folded t- piece of paper. Here's tomorrow's game. <laughs> All
1: right, here we go. a defensive struggle. Eagles 40 to 34.
0: I think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be like an old fashioned everybody's going to score every possession. A turnover or two is going to probably decide the thing. I trust Jalen Hurts not to turn it over. I think it's going to be huge statistics. 300 yards passing, 100 yards rushing, the whole schmeggegy and that's going to be it.
7: Well, how's this um, how's this going to affect the stupid football bet? I mean, cuz I a lot think of that the, uh, yeah. Matt Stafford's going to be back Throwing yep. it 50 times. Yes. I,
1: I like I like our odds. I like the fact that Hassan Reddick is no longer playing with a cast on his hand. I think, despite everything that he and other people around the team had been saying, it clearly was hampering him. And so I like the idea of Matt Stafford dropping back 40 to 50 times and giving my guy Haas. Plenty of opportunities to track him down. Do there there you, go. you got any projection, any odds on our current stupid football bat? And for people
0: who, and I know we've told a lot of times, Mike has total sacks by Hassan Reddick this year. I have total sacks by all those Georgia pups on defense. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta, I'm, I'm up, by the way, 3-1. Uh,
7: I know you are. And I, I told you going in that I liked your side of it. Um, I like the 5-1 to one aspect of it. Um, I thought I, I thought Carter was going to be really good. He is. Um, I, think they're, I think you're still going to hear from Nolan Smith. I mean, you haven't yet, but I think you will before it's all said and done. Uh, and you're seeing that Jordan Davis can actually get a bit of a pass rush. So, yeah, and I, I didn't quite see Reddick having two years quite like they were before. I think he'll hit double digits, but I don't think he's going to get up to 16. So I like your side of the bet. But tomorrow's going to be an interesting one because I think they're all going to have a lot of opportunity I to get after Matthew yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> going
0: to be five, six sacks tomorrow, and veal parmesan coming my way at the end of the year. <laughs> uh, before we go to our producer, Ben Kenny find out what we forgot to talk about one more time, November 7th at the Players Club of Swarthmore. Ray, we are doing a sports movie night. You and I are going to show some highlights of the greatest sports movie ever. made. we usually work like eight, nine into it, and, yeah. Right. We're going we're gonna to put in some new ones for people who have seen the program before. Right. You're a big Creed guy, I know that. We'll, I love Creed. I know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get something. We've never shown anything from Creed. We'll do that, talk about the backstory there. Uh, it's uh, Tickets are going fast. I looked at it, and the place already about half sold out. So if you want to come, you should order your tickets now. As we said, Tuesday night, November 7, PCS Theater in Swarthmore. Get your tickets at pcs PCSTheater.org. That's pcs PCSTheater.org.
3: Ben Kenny, what did we forget to talk about today? Well, first, stupid football bet related we forgot to mention that they'll be going up against the Rams' fantastic right tackle, Rob Havenstein, who I've always loved. You you have a
1: fondness for Rob Havenstein?
3: Well, We went to Wisconsin.
1: Oh, so there you go. Oh, there okay, you, go. Um, Ray,
3: you got a Havenstein thought there.
7: <laughs> no, I knew as soon as he said it, I knew why because yeah. I saw his Wisconsin okay. T-shirt. Okay, all
3: right. What else you got? What um, else you got, Ben? So there's an all-out brawl going on at the moment on Twitter between Phillies fans and the Braves mascot blooper. Who kind of looks like if you took the fanatic, made him grey, brown, and ugly and put <laughs> the fanatic's nose on each side of his head for yeah. ears. Yeah, he's terrible. a knockoff. And he's getting in fights. He has a whole persona on Twitter and he just fights people. And now he's fighting Phillies fans, which we know in general is probably not the best way to go about it.
1: No. No. He- there there are there are grandmom Phillies fans who could take down blooper, I think.
0: <laughs> he is fighting out of his weight class, I don't think no I mean whatever intern over there runs that social media account stepped into more than he can handle.
1: Yes.
3: Yeah. And he speaks like a real person on It's just, it's weird.
0: Yeah. It's not good.
3: Uh, I think this is a good forum or I guess it's a question. Is this a good place to bring up the ongoing Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey love affair? That's that's taken the world over. I have nothing to add. Mike,
1: I wish those two crazy kids the best.
0: Ray, you followed that over when you were in Italy, did you?
7: <laughs> well, it, it didn't really flourish until we were back from Italy, but it's a little hard to ignore it right now. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of everywhere. I think it's fine. I think it's funny. I, I you know, I, I I'm just, I, I'm, I'm not sure they're, they're both not just trolling all of us. Could be. I, I think it's, hey, I, I, th- you know I think you know I think who's, it's just a, I think it's just a, a troll thing. It's working for the NFL. Darn right. Darn right! They're, oh, definitely. They're getting the most out of it. Yeah. I, well, I told you when I was o- when I was over in Italy, we were sitting at a, at a little cafe in Straka, and uh, my wife nudged me and said, "Turn to the table next to you." And there was a woman sitting there in a Kelsey jersey. I which mean, which in Kelsey Italy. in Italy? Travis. Darn Travis eighty seven.
1: What yeah. a terrible human being. No, yeah.
3: All right, one more there, Ben. Um, this just broke about an hour ago. The Colts and star running back Jonathan Taylor finally ended my long national nightmare. <laughs> They agreed, so he's coming back off the pup this week. That was always figured. They agreed today on a three-year, $42 million extension with 26.5 guaranteed.
0: Ray, teams don't sign running backs to those second deals. Three years, $42 million for him. Does that make sense to you?
7: He's a a very talented running back. Um, But to me, I think part of the problem is he doesn't believe in his organization, and I don't think that I don't think he's wrong in that. I don't think the Colts know what they're doing. I, I'm, I'm I don't with think you. they know what they're doing.
1: I'm with you, Ray, and to me the interesting thing about the Colts is that Jim Ursay kind of bought himself some positive coverage over the last couple of years by being the most outspoken owner in criticizing Daniel Snyder. And now that Snyder isn't an owner in the league anymore, Ursay <laughs> is the dregs as far as I'm concerned. That organization doesn't know what it's doing. It's really – striking how much Peyton Manning kind of held them up over time
7: I think yeah and Andrew luck yep.
1: well,
0: yeah well and I like it because I drafted uh, him in my fantasy football league low got bargain now he's coming back it could help uh Mike Sielski, have an easy flight look forward to reading your stuff from uh, out in Los Angeles thank you sir uh, Ray Dinger, uh, always a pleasure, man. Always, Thanks for being here, man. Always a pleasure being with you guys. My best. Ben Kenny produced. Coming up, Go Birds Radio with James and Elliot right here on 94WIP.